0: This show is distributed by some club. Bye
1: Welcome to episode 128 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts.
2: Hello, Jason. Hello, Justin. <laughs> How are you doing today? Doing, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day out, that's for sure. Yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I woke up this morning and it was really rainy and overcast and I was like, oh, this is a perfect day to get a lot of work done, right? Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the Sandy's been out of town um, most of the week. She's been on a conference and uh, she was going to, um, she was going to drive to Vegas to pick up our daughter. She'd been staying with her mom while she mm-hmm. was out of town and Colby was with me. And uh, since it was a rainy day, I, you know, I thought, okay, well, why don't you take Colby with you to Vegas, stay the night and come back rather than keeping him here because it's going to be raining and he's going to be sitting inside all day anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, it's all rainy. I'll, I'll get work done. And then and then by like 11, it just turned beautiful out. So I'm sitting inside, you know, stuck behind the computer, looking at these clouds blowing through the sky. I was like, "Oh, this sucks." <laughs> God, Having I mean,
1: Colby coming to say, "Dad, Dad, I want
2: to go out." No, no. So, so I sent him off with his mom. I mean, you know, he was going to be here. We he had a soccer game today, and we, you know, right. we were going to go to the park and do, you know, a bunch of stuff, but. I figured if it was going to be a rainy day, there's no point having him sit inside and watch TV all day. I mean, cause I, I, and I, and plus I really needed to get a lot of work done. So that's why I sent him with his mom, but uh, it was a fake out. <laughs> the weather cleared up by, you know, probably 11. Hmm. So, um, yeah. But other than that, I'm just, I'm still sitting here working though. Okay. And you? Yeah.
1: Oh, I've, I've been working my, I've, I've had a week full of, um, I'm, I'm stressed because I've had a lot of support issues. Uh, with PlugGear, which I guess you'd expect, you know, once you started getting more customers, right? But, um, yeah, and no, I've just even it's not necessarily support issues, but just having to think about scaling and things like that—stuff that I don't, you know, really want to get into, but you know, you have to. Yeah, you know, right? And they're kind of they're a pain in the butt to think about and to do. And so I've been looking at, for example, things like backing up the database. So I haven't been backing up the database to the to date. What I've been doing is I've just been accepting the fact that uh Rackspace automatically does a backup of the whole image disk image every day
2: okay so you vote, so it's you you would lose a day of data if, if something went really bad
1: yeah pretty much yeah okay. exactly a, a day of data whereas now i need to start thinking about backing up the actual database but of course mysql dump doesn't work so easily once your database starts becoming gigabytes big you know
2: so, yeah i saw you make that post you made on um start on the startup guild yeah it you, you really have a 10 gigabyte uh, database now? Well, because
1: I've got, and this is something else I wanted to talk to you about, and it's something, it's something that's been kind of weighing on my mind and stressing me out, is, is that um, the whole friend finder system um, and the whole way that it works, like, so I will continually need to get information about a Twitter user. Okay. So you get that from the Twitter API, the full information about the user, and I need to store that server side. So essentially I've got this table that's got, I don't know, 5 million rows of of Twitter user data. Okay. Which I need to keep on there. And so that's that's the one that's really big and then also the friend suggestion table is really big as well. That's got 3.6 million rows. Um so and and I've only really got a very small amount of users and I've you know I've only got like 150 customers and I only I only even process stuff for the customers who actually use the site. So if if a customer hasn't used the site for 2 weeks or for a week even I stop kind of sending them friend suggestions. I stop doing any of the processing. So even with that small amount of usage, it's still up to kind of eight million rows worth of data.
2: Is I mean, are you holding on to stale data? So if people create accounts, free accounts, or and, and and they don't upgrade and their their free trial expires or whatever, I mean, do you still have all their data in there? Or are you purging?
1: Yeah, that's that's in there, but <clears throat> that that data is very cheap and that's very small. That's not really the issue. The issue is. Is um, anything that I'm caching from Twitter because obviously with the Twitter API, right? They don't want you to keep on calling the same person again and again and again. Okay. So, so when I'm when I request information about a user, it sends back all of the information. It sends back I don't know about 10k's worth of data per user, something okay. like that, right? And it kind of tells you what their last tweet was. It tw- tells you what their location is. You know what their followings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's how it kind of makes determinations on whether it's going to follow them as a friend or not. So of course I have multiple people all checking on the same account. So if I was to, if I was to poll Twitter, you know, five times a day for one user, Twitter's going to say, look, what are you doing? You need to be caching this. Okay. Right? So I am caching it. The problem is, is that when you've got 150 people querying Twitter every day for, you know, and there's like, you know, thousands of friend suggestions a day, you know, I don't know, 5,000 friend suggestions a day or whatever, that cache builds up pretty fast so there's like caching tables that are just really big, and that are really needed.
2: So, How big are the tables?
1: Um, well, like I said, I mean, um, you know, three, uh, five million uh, rows, and like three, five four. five million rows of of the user table. But the other thing is, is like for for new functionality that I need to start adding, I need to really make it work better as well. Like at the moment, the only thing that table's used for is is just a cache. It's okay. literally just caching. But what I want to be able to do is so that people can go in and type. Okay, show me all people in New York who are graphic artists. And then they get a list of people w- within the system, you know? I see. So that it makes them really easy to find prospects and things like that. So when it, then then I'm going to have to like add MySQL indexes to it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm now starting to think, well, hold on a second. You know, there's 300 million Twitter users. I mean, the ideal scenario would be if I had 300 million Twitter users cached, right? Basically, right. everyone on Twitter. So then I need to think, well, how how do I do that? How do I store that on my little disk image how do i regularly update those 300 million users so that i've got the latest one without breaking the api
2: limits et etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah <laughs> i mean do you really have to think that big yet i mean why would you need to do something like that at this stage well because if someone comes onto the
1: system and they and they they're prospecting right and they so let's say it's you epic night right so you come onto Plugio. wouldn't it be an incredibly powerful feature if you could basically search through all of twitter's users and find everyone within a certain specified area who, ha- who has specified keywords in their bio. Right, yeah. Sure. There's no way to do that right now. Okay. You know? And
2: you're thinking of, rather than querying that, you, you're just going to just sort of... Drink. Twitter doesn't
1: have that option. There is no way to query that from
2: Twitter. So how do you get that data?
1: What, well, you can get the data from... So basically what you can do is you can get a user's data from Twitter by supplying a Twitter ID. I see. Right, but they they don't have a search to say you know a way to search people's bios. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm thinking if I can index everyone on Twitter into a database, then I can offer all of that search functionality, and it'll be like a lot of added value.
2: Well, how would you get that data? Well, well I mean, one cause way, I mean, if, I mean, we just crawl. Like you have 150 people, and then you crawl their followers and get their IDs and just well,
1: that, that that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah, and and that's why it's only. Kind of five million rows because it's only relating to the as I said, it only does stuff relating to people who log in who are active. Right. But Ultimately, for, you know, for the for the for the maximum utility, it'd be great if I could have all of Twitter's users in my you know backed up, and so then I could to, to get that data, I just basically would crawl you know from one to three hundred million just to IDs, just ID numbers.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering how you would find those ID numbers. Well, it's just one, two, three, four, so five, six. So you would six, you would just go like that. You would just start yeah. indexing. I mean, hmm. Another way to, you know, I don't know. I get some ideas, but I don't know if they make sense. I'd have to think about it. Okay. Well,
1: well, because yeah, I mean, okay. Well, let let me let me break you down to um like a, a smaller problem that I've got. Okay. So one one of the things that Plugio already offers is the ability to tell you to make unfollow suggestions. Okay. Right? So the way that it does that and it's it's doing it in a very inefficient way right now and I was wanted to brainstorm this with you for a better way. So the API what they offer is they offer the capability to just return you to return you all the IDs of users that follow someone. Okay. And there's another API endpoint that offers all the IDs of people that they follow. Right. So basically based on that as long as you keep track of those two lists of IDs over time you can see which IDs disappear from one list, and then you can say, "Right, these people are no longer following you." Sure, right. So you know. So at the moment, the way that I do that is I do that query, pull in those IDs, and store them like in a serialized object on the server. And then you know, a couple, you know, next day I will basically pull down those IDs again and just do a diff on those serialized arrays. The problem is that's fine for like people who have followings of five thousand. But right. There's some people who have followings of like, you know, 100,000. Right. Yeah. So diffing that stuff in memory basically causes a core dump, so it doesn't work for those users. Sure. And it's just just generally I don't like that whole idea and I'd rather once again have it in the database somewhere just keep it completely synced up.
2: Yeah, well I think that's what you got to do. I think you got to make it a SQL operation and not a, you know, like a PHP operation. Any suggestions? Yeah make it a sequel operation
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay any kind of that's the miracle function any more finer point suggestions
2: no i mean you know i'd i'd have to look at their table structures and 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 sit down i mean you know if a sequel for me i have to sit down and and just kind of like build it up step by step it's hard for me to just go just do xyz blah 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 i have to kind of look at the data and really kind of so would you would it be something are you thinking of something like unions and diffs and and sorry no not unions and intersects and things like that Something like that, some type of a you know SQL operation, and then you can. I mean, that's yeah, because you just you just. I mean, PHP. That's what that's what relational databases are built to do for, right? That's what they're that's what they're good at, and I, I would lean on SQL to do that for you. I've got this one table called um, Friend Suggestions, right? Okay. And in that
1: table, all it all it has is it just has the Twitter username, Twitter ID, and then the state of the friend suggestion. And there's like sixteen different states, which is like. You know, I've just discovered this person. I've suggested this person as a friend or whatever. And on this this table has three point six million rows. And even if I do like um, select count star from mm-hmm. this table where state equals you know suggest friend and user ID equals one two three, it takes like three seconds to return a count.
2: Do you have in, Are you indexing on what you're on the sort or on? What? Yeah. So so
1: then I I thought I had indexes, but I've, what I've realized is I've created an index which is basically an index of user id and and twitter screen name right, right. Mm-hmm. so it's it's like a joint index so i think that's the issue is i'm i'm doing a count and i don't have an index specifically for the user id but when i try and create an index i'm sitting there for like 5 hours and it's not you know it's not creating the index yeah
2: well that's always the, the challenge with databases right i mean it's sort of the either you think really hard about your data beforehand and create all the right indexes which you're inevitably going to get wrong because you know, as applications evolve and grow and the data becomes more complex, you don't have the indexes in place because you didn't understand exactly how it was going to be used. So inevitably you're going to come with situations where you're going to have to re-index gigantic tables and it's going to be a big, massive effort. So I think what you're going to have to do is – well, I think first of all, if you if you index your tables properly based on the kind of queries you want to run – you're going to be fine and y- you'll be able to do all the things that you want to do. So what you're just going to have to do is just sit down, decide what those queries are going to be, figure out the indexes, and then just do them, you know, at three o'clock in the morning and uh, do one, in, one a night for the, you know, for the next five nights and just warn people that maybe, you know, uh, plug you will be offline for a couple hours or three or four hours. I mean, what I want to know is
1: if I have this table that, the the one that already has five million rows. that's basically just cached user data for all of the users on Twitter. Okay. If I do joins on that, which is what I'm going to need to do, because that's the, at the moment. Remember this thing I told you about? I've just got two arrays, and I'm just storing them. Mm-hmm. What I really need to do is like basically have a have a table that instead of having those arrays in memory, I just have those the, those basically IDs in a sort of a table. So it's just a very simple lookup table with my user ID and my followers' user IDs, and mm-hmm. then it looks up to that large cache table. But what happens if I've got like ten thousand followers, and I then do a join? So I'm joining ten thousand IDs against this five million row table.
2: Like, is that going to be ridiculously think, slow? No, is that okay? I mean, is I think I think most um, queries, even with really big tables, I mean, you know, relational databases, MySQL, they weren't built just to handle like tables with a hundred thousand rows. I mean, they were meant to handle. Tens, hundreds, of millions of records to be able to perform, and as long as you index your data correctly, um, that should be fine. I, I think that's been my experience. So they I mean, I I have, have
1: three hundred million records.
2: I think so. If you had them indexed correctly, the index only, If you don't, then, then it's going to be doing table scans, in which case you're going to see these, you know, extremely slow queries. Um, that would be my. I, that would be my first step. I mean, you know, maybe you know, I'm sure some people listening would be, ah, well, there are exceptions, and the cases were going to get slow. But I think more often than not. If you get a really good uh, SQL person who can 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 index your who really understands how to to write some performant queries and index your tables right, you can usually make stuff really fast. That'd be my suggestion. I think anything. I think looking beyond uh, uh, smart indexes and uh, and smart queries, I think you're probably. Jumping ahead, I think try those things, and if the queries—what do you index- mean by smart indexes and smart queries? Well, I mean you just look really hard and, and make sure that you're not missing an index. Because sometimes what you'll do is you'll you'll send out some you'll you'll set up indexes on things like you know foreign IDs and stuff. They're like okay, obviously those are indexes, but you don't realize that you're doing some you know where some where clauses or something or some sorting um, clauses. You're you're sorting on some fields and stuff that are indexed, and that might end up causing a problem because it's doing some kind of a you know because it needs those indexes to find that data. Do you need to index numbers? Index numbers, integers. I don't. I don't know if I've ever done that, you know. But but I'm just you know my SQL knowledge. I mean, I'm a competent. Uh, I'm competent at SQL, right? Yeah. I'm not a DBA. I mean, I I can. I've written my share of you know complicated sequels and you know correlated subqueries and all that kind of crap. But you know. Sometimes I like, get in a situation where I'm like, Whoa, what? how do I make this work? And you can go on Stack Overflow and there'll be some you know, SQL gods who will sit there and go, oh, obviously you just do blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I would never have known." This to- is
1: like one of those times where I need like an AnyFoo service. Like what, what I would like is I would like to spend an hour <laughs> on the phone, pay someone 50, 100 bucks or whatever, an hour, two hours, um, and just go through everything with them, show them the the database the way it's set up and and just get them to help me look, okay, these are the mistakes that I'm making. This is the issue. Because even when I when I look at the um, explain, right, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense to
2: me. I don't know what it's saying, you know?
1: <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Explain, right. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I don't even know what that means.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of service would be useful. I would definitely make use of it. I've done that on my own without having a service. just trying to find people and say, hey, listen, yeah. just pay you for a few hours to walk me through this. I think I told you a while back I did that too. This is like three years ago or something when I set up my EC2 instance. Mm-hmm. And and that was when it was really early on and, and, and setting something up that was hard. There were no tools to help you do it. And it was very helpful. I mean, I would have taken me ten times longer to get it up had I not had this guy who was an expert at it and, and done it a handful of times walk me through it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but you know... <clears throat> it, it, but you know, just to, just to put it, just to put in uh, you know a cap on that first conversation, um, I, I would do your best to set up some queries and, and and maybe take some of that data, a snapshot of that data offline or something, and, and, and for your development database and and experiment with some indexing and some queries and see what you can do first.
1: Yeah, it, even that's harder said than done. I mean, basically, get getting a snapshot of it requires doing a MySQL dump, but the MySQL dumps, it, you know, you're sitting around for like two hours waiting <laughs> yeah, for it to. Well, tum-
2: <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 why you're going to have to just, just figure out what you want to do, come with a plan, and then get these things done every night. Say so, okay, right, well, this yeah. is going to be a five step process. Step one is tonight I'm going to get a copy of the database. It's going to run at you know two a.m. Pacific time, you know, and for the dump. But the other
1: thing is, it really slows down the server when it's doing that stuff, right? Because well, like, it's oh, yeah. it takes up a lot of CPU. So I'm thinking probably what I need to do is basically take a snapshot on Rackspace of that server, build a, a new version of the server. And then on that separate version, do all this stuff,
2: basically. Yeah, maybe that yeah. would be a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I've never done a snapshot of a volume like that, so I don't know how time-consuming or involved. Oh, it. no, it's,
1: it's pretty easy with Rackspace. Yeah, you just you just basically create a new instance, and then you just say, clone this existing instance. So that's not, not too hard.
2: And is it... Okay, so it's not too hard. Uh, technically, how hard is it? Uh, I mean, uh, how... Much of a uh, how much time is that going to take? How much CPU is it going to take? Is that a, is that a big deal too? Just like to no, just-
1: no, nothing. It's just a click of a button, and it doesn't affect your in- that server instance. So to be honest, it's a no brainer. I don't even know why why I didn't do it. Why yeah. I've been working on my main server? That's just stupid, really.
2: Yeah, that sounds like you're uh, that sounds like <laughs> you're, you've answered your own question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have you noticed that a lot of times when I would go to write uh, a question on Stack Overflow by the and, and by the time I I had finished writing the question, I pretty much figured it out. Yeah, it's it's that going through that process of, of of writing a really good question, stating your assumptions, stating the context exactly, stating very stating very explicitly what is it you're trying to achieve and what you think the problems might be, and then you're just like, oh, I got this, <laughs> and that's essentially, I guess, what we did right here, right? You just sort of- so, so why
1: don't you give us a quick rundown about um, uh, microconf?
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, just a quick reminder for everybody. So MicroConf, which is Rob Walling's uh, conference, is Rob Walling and Mike Tabor, is that yeah. Mike, St- Mike Tabor, who um, who hosts uh, the Startups for the Rest of Us, uh, the podcast um, that they do. Um, they are hosting a conference called MicroConf June 6th and 7th in Las Vegas. Justin and I are going to be there. We're driving there with my daughters, who then will be dropping off my in-laws. <laughs> and uh, we'll be down there hanging out hopefully recording a show or two and uh, I don't know hopefully meeting some of our listeners so come on that by great. now and if you go to microconf and sign up uh, and use a tech zing uh, discount code or coupon code you get like $100 off right yeah all right so I think that's it so it's time to act, act now make it happen do it <laughs> <laughs> meet us there should be fun um, so I think that's it
1: so how so how's Night going
2: How's Epic Night going? So, let's see. Um, there's a few different things. Um, one thing that really frustrated me, so and sort of surprised me, um, is I, I set up, you know, beta accounts for I don't know five five testers, mm-hmm. and most of them, when they tried, they they created, um, they logged in, and then they generated an application. They tried to log in their app, they couldn't log in. And so I went and investigated, and I'm looking, and the hashes. I, I didn't look at the hashes, you know, at first that that carefully because uh, you know sometimes you're looking at. What do you mean the hashes? The hash of a password. I'm sorry. So when, okay. I, when I hash your password using like, <clears throat> Blowfish or SHA two fifty six or something, it creates this long series of characters. So you know your uh, your password isn't you know hello world. It's this gigantic thing. So um, and and we've talked about that before. How I built sort of a hashing. Um, class yeah. that would, you know, do really super random salting and stretching iterations and these advanced hashing algorithms and all that kind of cool stuff. So, uh, anyway, all, all these guys uh, emailed me and were like, "Yeah, I can't, I can't log into my app." And I'm like, "What the hell is happening?" And as it turns out, the hashing algorithm we used uh, or the hashing library um, is called Crypt, which is a you know PHP built-in. Uh, yeah. Library call. Well, it turns out Crypt doesn't run on like five PHP five point two or five point one, <laughs> and I have five point three on my local, on my you know uh, Mac, but the uh, the virtual private server that has appignite.com, ignite.com, it's running PHP five point two point six. Okay, okay, and that doesn't have Crypt, which means Crypt was just failing and returning just kind of like this uh, salt. It was just returning like the salt. <laughs> random assault, not so so are you are you now going to say
1: oh I wish I if I was just working off the server then I wouldn't have this issue
2: no no I'm not saying that I mean hmm. that's an old argument I mean that obviously was true but right. you know it's 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 fine I mean I've uh I've been working locally for a while now and um but so what did you do so what I well first of all it took me a minute to figure out what the hell was going on and and I realized cuz I I I actually have an account obviously on my, epic.com. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but I, th- I'm not exactly sure what happened. Maybe the account that I created was was created a long time ago, or I manually created the hash when I was testing the algorithm out, or something. Yeah. So for whatever reason, it was fine. Um, and then you probably just copy and pasted it from your local DB into your yeah. External. But when, and then when I whenever I create a new application, I think. Maybe because of a session thing, it thought I was still logged in. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I didn't investigate it that carefully, but okay. needless to say, it was screwed up. So I had to I had to go and and create a new hashing um, algorithm using, or not algorithm, but I mean, you can you, you can rely on a hashing library, but ultimately you got to figure out a way to encode the salt and the and the number of iterations, or you know that you're using and that kind of stuff. So I used the new PHP, the um, an older PHP hashing algorithm, just called hash. Yeah, it like you know they have like they support like twenty or thirty different hashes. They just don't support bcrypt, which is one of the ones The, the, the to, one that you happen to choose. Yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a newer. I mean, it's not a newer one. It's just considered to be really slow, which means it's harder to crack because it takes longer to calculate the hash. Right. But but it does support you know SHA two fifty six and and SHA um, five twelve, which are really slow too.
1: <laughs> so what about the 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 hash one? Did that support anything good?
2: Yeah, it was 5.1. I think it's like PHP 5.1 and up. And I think that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm going back to. I'm not supporting PHP 4. So as long as you're... And 5.1 is like from like 2004 or something like that. Yeah. I think yeah. that's reasonable to go back that far. Okay. So I had to write that. That was just like a compute complete, like, what the hell's going on? And like, why am I wasting time on this? But then it's like nobody can log into their servers. <laughs> to, their, to their apps, I mean. So I had to, I had to do that. Um. So you fixed it, and then what happened? Well, then the other thing—it works fine now. Um, it was kind of cool though, because that was one of the things that I'd kind of had that that Guyon had worked on. So I didn't understand the hashing stuff as much as he did, but since I had to go build it because he was working on something else, I'm like, okay, now I get I get it. <laughs> cool. That was kind of cool. Um, the uh, but then I also had to create a way for you to reset your password if you forgot it. Yeah, um, ignite proper. I had that generator. which you needed to do anyway. I need to do anyway, but I'm like, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna have these five beta testers reset their passwords unless I make one up for them or I email it to them, right? Which is the whole point—you don't want to do stuff like that. Um, so I, I had to code all that up. So I, that was just kind of like some kind of stupid stuff that I had to do, which I wish I didn't have to do because I'm getting feedback already about stuff that really matters to to them.
1: Okay, so then you did that. So then they got put their passwords and they
2: logged in. Then well, what I, I haven't. I, I haven't emailed. I built the. I, I need to. I have about. 30 more minutes on finishing up that reset password, and then I just got to push it up to the server and then email them. Okay. But every, what I did is I manually sort of cut and pasted their hashes so they could log in and it would work. Um, now,
1: why isn't App Ignite proper an App, app? I app?
2: You know what? I tried to do that early on, and it just, it just, it just, it was like, forced me to do like these mental somersaults i mean it was like mental twister trying to go okay i'm writing code that i'm going to model to generate then i'm going to generate code that that's going to model i mean it was just like five well, steps. So, okay let, let me let me phrase that
1: why isn't okay i i, well, I, I can't, phrase, I can't. I phrase that badly why isn't the app ignite user registration system so basically the core crud aspect of it its own app because then Basically, that will create an API. So then Appignite Proper just calls the API from this generated app. So when you log into Appignite Proper and you basically register, Appignite Proper then makes an API call to this app, and then that's where all the users are stored and all your credentials and all your payment stuff is stored in that app. So really, Appignite Proper still does all the code generation, et cetera, et cetera, but just um, for the, the user side of things, it can go out to a proper app and then you can add new things to
2: it, et cetera. Does that make any sense? Not really. I'm not quite. Well, I mean, all I can say is this. I mean, before deciphering that too too deeply, I'll just say this: is that Appignite itself um, doesn't work quite the way the generated apps. You know how, like, when you write new libraries or new code, and you by their tenth generation it's so much different than the first generation. You just learn things. But the first generation still works, and that's what App Ignite Proper is. So what I did is I generated, I, I cut and pasted the generated code, and I kind of fit it into the old App Ignite for, um, code base mm-hmm. for the, uh, or not the old, but for the App Ignite Proper yeah. in, uh, code base. And so that was, I mean, that was easy enough. Like, it took me, you know, probably 10% of the amount of work because I just, you know, generated a temporary app, you know, put in some different a few different things and then it was it worked. So okay. it wasn't a big deal.
1: But say App Ignite proper, right? You need it has a user registration system, correct? It yes. has a it has a user database, yeah, correct? Yes. So at some stage when someone logs in, you query the database and you check their password and you see whether it's a valid user, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm suggesting is is that at that point where it makes a query to the database, instead of querying the database, it queries your app ignite user app or whatever it is so you just have one app that's just dealing with user accounts mm-hmm. that's all but i don't know maybe i mean that's but know, that that may, the, you know, why that would that be, be
2: oh like a whole separate application i generate an application just for doing one part of app Ignite's work
1: yeah because it, it 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 can deal with the lost password stuff it can deal with the users the users registration stuff it can deal with the billing stuff and it's a proper sp- app
2: but you still have to do things like um, – I mean, that that you could generate sort of the API stuff, but then you still have to deal with templates the certain way and where they're stored, directory structures. It's just there's all these little things that would, I think, complicate that. Sure. I, sure. I don't think it would be – I mean – I tried to do that very beginning, very very early off. I thought, hey, let's just have Apignite generate itself, kind of this bootstrapping. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, it is very
2: recursive and it confusing. It just, I mean, it just blew my mind. I mean, I I was like five levels deep deep in sort of this mental recursion, and I just was like, this is this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it it got so complicated, I just couldn't even think about it. I mean, it's hard enough writing code. That's going to uh, you know writing generated code of code that's going to run. I mean that right there. Sometimes you're trying to figure out like, wait a minute, is this a generated code or is this the code that writes the code that? Gen-? I mean, it just it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard enough. Going one more one level beyond that, and it's just so what you kind of have to do is you kind of have to go in steps and you work backwards. Like what I'll do is I say here's if, if if I know there's some code I want to you know like one thing I've been working on recently is the search functionality, right? So what I do is I first I go write the code manually. I, I write the. This is what the uh, database uh, schema should look like for a search table. This is what the PHP code should look like. This is what I want the HTML to work like. And when there's a search box, and then I go, okay, so now I want to create some code that's going to generate each of these pieces. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's really hard to think about writing a generator without having something concrete that you've already written. Yeah. You know. So, but then going two levels beyond that is just forget about it. It's just
1: crazy. Oh, so you decided to go ahead with the search stuff. I'm glad you did, because I think that's an important feature.
2: Yeah, well, I, I need it anyway for another project that I'm working on, that for a client and I'm using App Ignite to, to build, and it, it requires search, so I, and I, I'm already halfway through it. Now, one of the problems that I'm running to right now is just, it, it, this just happened kind of temporarily, and, and I'm, I'm sh- this is something I do on occasion, is, I, is I, sort of, uh, I start working on something, and I don't completely finish it, and I start working on something else. <laughs> and it's kind of like you get, the, you get the patient under the knife and you start a heart operation, and they're like, "Oh, you know what? My knee needs to be fixed." So you're like, "Oh, okay, let me work on the knee for a little bit." <laughs> and then, and then, and then the anesthesiologist is like, "You know, we gotta wake this guy up. He's been under the he's been under for twelve hours." You know, and you're like, "Oh, I can't because you know I gotta reconnect the heart and I gotta fix this knee." And oh yeah, I was I was uh, you know giving him some new fillings. <laughs> It's like, it's <laughs> right? Just, so what's
1: so what's the example of, that you've been doing that?
2: Okay, well, one thing that, and I talked this a few weeks ago was the voting and, and ranking stuff. Yeah, which was a bigger deal than it, it sounds like because it had to generate a server side API, client side API, all the jQuery stuff, and we've talked about it in the past. So I did that's like ninety five percent complete. I mean, it just got to I got to upload some image, some default images for your arrows, and just a few things. You know, maybe a few hours of work. Just cleaning mm-hmm. that up, but I never finished it. I did. I mean, I just there's just those pieces, so I didn't want to upload it to the server. And then I started working on the search stuff, and then um, I kind of stalled out on it because I just had all this other consulting work. And then I was, um, I don't know, I started sending people user accounts, and now I'm getting emails from the beta testers like, "Hey, can you fix X, Y, and Z?" And by the way, no one can log into their app. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, I never finished the voting or the search, and you have this sort of like half-working code sitting in there. Mm. No, that so, sucks. So I think, uh, uh, one reason I think it's probably good to release apps as early as you can is because it forces you not to do that because you have to be responsive. If somebody, re- if people report, you know, critical problems, I mean, you need to sort of solve those within hour, you know, days, if not hours. Yeah. And if you have two or three things that are unfinished, sometimes they can go to weeks and people are sitting around going, wondering if you're even you know, caring or paying, And it's
1: funny how much that weighs on your mind. It's, it's very stressful to get that from a customer basically saying the rolling schedule isn't tweeting right now. In fact, I've got a customer who said exactly that. And I'm, I'm sitting here doing this podcast with that. Wait, <laughs> wait on yeah. my mind. God, I've got to fix that thing.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, well it is Sunday. So if it takes a few hours on a Sunday, I don't think it's the
1: end of the world. Yeah, no, I think they I think they'd be fine about it, but even so it's still like this kind of grain of sand, in the in the oyster in your brain you know <laughs> it's just that, just Absolutely. kind of stressing you out well
2: and it's it, it 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 it's a good kind of stress because it forces you to stay on the on the on the, on the core on your path mm-hmm. right you don't get distracted by oh it'll be neat to work on this Ooh, it'll be cool to look at that it's like you know you you got to be careful because you just kind of get off the rails the patient's under the knife and you know you know how dangerous it is when you take the patient under and, and, and just sort of leave it an unworking version for like three or four weeks oh yeah that's
1: that's really bad because you you didn't round round the code out basically and you forget the you forget the the kind of core points where the problems were
2: yeah and it takes you forever to get the thing back up and people are like oh can i check out your app you're like i you know not really cuz <laughs> this is all broken and sometimes there are certain things you work on that just take a little bit of time and they're not a 2 hour fix i mean it's going to be a few days yeah. but you don't make damn sure that you that you only work on what you need to and get that role, get that connection you know, code committed and get it rolled out. I mean, and I guess the closer you get to having actual users and you really have to pay attention to that. Yeah. And, um, anyways, obviously I, I made that mistake. I mean, well, because I was working on some of the stuff before I had any users. So it was easy for me to sort of, um, be lazy about it, be sloppy and just be like, ah, I'll work on a couple different things, but uh, I can't do that anymore.
1: Hey, uh, just completely, um, changing topic. I had an idea, which is kind of an outrageous idea. Okay. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to say, look, that's just ridiculous, outrageous, but I just wanted to brainstorm it anyway, just for a couple of minutes. Yeah. So on, on Andrew, uh, on Andrew Warner's show, if you don't download the content within the first seven days, then it goes behind a paywall. So you can't get access to the archive. So taking that to a, like a crazy, uh, the nth degree, imagine the show, imagine we were to release a show and there was only a 24 hour window to download it. We didn't have mm-hmm. a paywall. We just had a 24 hour window. And so if you didn't get that, if you didn't get the show within the 24 hour window, you just never got to listen to it.
2: Well, OK, well, first of all, a lot of people don't even re-sync their uh their iTunes or whatever a pod- podcast downloader, you know, sometimes within three or four days. Yeah. You know, it's like for me. So, you know, it's just not it's just sort of unrealistic to expect people to to like, oh, you know, because they don't know we, we don't we don't have an exact release schedule for one. I mean, sometimes it's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday for a discussion show. But the thing
1: is, if you did only have the twenty-four hour window, then everyone would actually have to be on the ball, so that they'd have to join a mailing list, and it wouldn't be about kind of this uh, iTunes syncing laissez-faire kind of concept. It'd be more about having to push it out, them having to pay attention.
2: I think we'd end up having like seven listeners. (laughs) I think. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I think that would be what would happen. i told you it's a crazy idea yeah uh yeah i i could see there be certain types of podcasts that uh might be able to do that um i I mean i'd have to think about what kinds would work but i don't think that would you know i don't think that would be reasonable for us i wouldn't want to try it i think it would just alienate a bunch of our listeners be my guess all right so um do you remember kevin o'connor um from
1: um was it double click double click yeah Yeah. mm -hmm. So, and you remember Alex, who we had on the show, my friend Alex from London, Alex Gemmel Alex Gemel. Yeah. So, my friend Alex um, was would really like to get a job in the US and was thinking about moving over. So, um, I've put him in touch. Do you remember that on that show that we did with uh, Kevin O'Connor? They were looking for engineers. Yeah. Right. So, put those two guys in touch. Interested to see what happens. Maybe there'll be some chemistry there. Maybe Alex will end up working for a guy who sold a three point five billion company.
2: You're making a love connection.
1: <laughs> yeah. Acting as the matchmaker.
2: You're like a matchmaker for nerds. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, what was that? Millionaire matchmaker, right? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, TV show. Yeah. You should do that for, uh, for nerds. That's good. Well, hopefully that happens. I mean, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're located in Santa Barbara, which is just beautiful.
1: Alex would um, be the idea. I mean, Alex got the perfect kind
2: of uh, personality, temperament for, and personality that? for that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be good loving. I mean, I think Santa Barbara is kind. Of, living in Santa Barbara is kind of like living, sort of like on a in, in, on an island, like if you were living <laughs> in, uh, in in Hawaii or something. And we, you're kind of isolated in some sense. I mean, Santa Barbara is not. It's not like a tiny little t- town. But it's I mean, only it's a, like it's an hour a and a half
1: drive from um, Los Angeles, y- right?
2: Yeah, but you're. It, it does. I know a lot of people who live there. They feel like they're sort of in this like, I tell you? This artificial world of of just perfection you know okay, <laughs> they just right. be, like, you've you ever talked about it? he lives in hawaii they're like yeah it's great but uh i just feel sort of disconnected in some ways but huh. just for but for other people it'd be great i think it uh you know a lot of times when we've uh, been in santa barbara we're like man maybe we should move here this is this is good living although it's expensive yeah
1: it is a expensive. lot of
2: money a lot of money in, in uh, santa barbara you know but uh, and you, do, you
1: don't kind of tradi- traditionally think of it as a place for developers and for you know tech companies
2: yeah, I, I guess you could say that. But uh, there are tech companies everywhere now. I mean, you could you could you could move to any city with at least you know ten or twenty thousand people in it, and there are going to be jobs for for people who write code. I would think. Um, it's like oh, it's talk- like finding a it's like finding a jobs an electrician or a plumber or a, or a lawyer. I mean, you know, they just they just it's so integrated with everything now that you just have to have people that are technical. Okay, so talking
1: about um companies and you know w- whether you should have a tech company somewhere or not. Um, last night I was having a conversation with uh, Georgie, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but we were on the subject of how much you know money is is different companies worth. And so I was looking on Wikipedia and thinking about Microsoft. Okay, so Microsoft has revenue of sixty four billion, right? Okay. What do you think the revenue of Walmart is?
2: The revenue of Walmart? Yeah, I don't know, maybe hundred billion. Four hundred and fifty billion. Good grief! Yeah, <laughs> you- I've heard I've heard people mention things like you know, Walmart's, you know, uh, GDP is the GDP of like you know like the tenth largest country or something. I
1: like. mean, can you believe that Walmart, like Microsoft, is is a tiny sixty four billion compared to Walmart's four hundred and fifty billion? It's just unbelievable. Yeah.
2: That's a lot, but I wonder what their profit is compared to uh, Microsoft. I don't think the profit margins are anywhere near what Microsoft's. Oh, it's.
1: interesting. Okay, so it's so it's just so just because you so, sell
2: a lot of stuff doesn't mean you're making anything close to that.
1: That's interesting. Yeah,
2: I mean their margins may be five percent, where Microsoft's might be like twenty five percent. I mean, so, I no I'm just making stuff up. I mean, I have no idea what their what their margins are, but I would think that the the profits would be, um, you know, I mean, would maybe be more important. Like for instance, if you're selling cars and you sell. Yeah you know, uh, you know, ten hundred dollars cars a year and you only make, you know, 5% off those. I mean, that's not a whole lot of revenue, mm-hmm. but, uh, you could have uh, much lower, um, you know, you could be selling something that, you know, costs 50 bucks, but you have, you know, 50%, um, profit margin, in which case you're making a, you know, and it's, and you might only make half or a third of that revenue, but you're way more profits. So it's a way better business. I mean, I
1: guess what it made me think is how wrapped up I am in tech, tech world and SaaS applications and how my whole kind of vision, business vision has become very tightly focused. But in reality, I mean, people build $100 billion businesses selling tennis shoes, you know, (laughs) nothing to do with tech whatsoever. I mean, there's so many different ways to make money.
2: Oh yeah, well absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 easy to get sort of caught up in your own world. It, every every world that I've been in, it's it's funny because in that world people are just absorbed with it. You know, if you're talking people in Hollywood, that's all they think about. They don't think about Silicon Valley Anywhere in than Silicon Valley thinks about Hollywood. Or yeah. either of them think about the hedge fund world or the hedge fund world thinks about, you know, I don't know, the retail world. I mean you go to any I you mean You see movies about these worlds, for instance, and it's funny. Everyone's completely absorbed in it. And I remember when I was in... um College, I think it was like summer, and I, and I was doing like three or four completely unrelated things. I was um, working with this mathematician from uh, University of Georgia, and he he was trying to prep me to become a mathematician. Right? He mm-hmm. thought, that's where my future was, and he was so he would dismiss everything else that I spent any time on. And then I was playing with this uh, soccer team. It was like a semi-pro soccer team, and you know they're all about you know all these guys are trying to go pro, and that's all they were wrapped up in. So they didn't understand any of these other stuff I was doing. And then I was working at this engineering firm and they thought I should, you know, be an engineer and they're trying to teach me to be a, you know, a really good coder. And then I'm taking acting lessons from this casting director. You remember the story I told you, this ca- casting director approached me out of nowhere and wanted me to be a, um, be in this commercial about Olympic swimmers. Yeah. The yeah. Olympics were coming to Atlanta in 96. Mm-hmm. And so then he, he, so he, uh, scholarship me to these acting, he taught these acting classes and, you know, all the people in his acting classes were really serious. About yeah really up. I mean, that was their dream. And I was just like, I'd show up once or twice a week for it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's kind of fun. <laughs> and it was like, that's, but nobody could understand any of the other things I was doing. They thought every, they, when he would even mention this other stuff to them, they'd look at you like they were crazy. Like, why would you waste your time with that?
1: Well, I had a a kind of similar experience Um, and and what I felt was that because I had the two, the two strings to my bow, the kind of being a musician and the coding, I think I always felt that's the reason why I never made it as a musician ultimately, because compared to the other guy, other musicians who I was hanging around, like who were, you know, eating and breathing and sleeping music that they just didn't have this. Like I didn't have the same investment and skin on the line because I always had this like get out of jail card. You know, I could always make money through coding. Whereas they just, if they if they didn't make any money, like, through music, they'd have to go out and busk and make money through music, you know?
2: Yeah, so the, there was no plan B, basically. Yeah,
1: and and that's the reason why investors kind of say, look, you know, they're, they're looking for people committed. They're looking for people who are just c- completely into one business, who aren't thinking about hedging, who are just totally invested in one concept.
2: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, well, first of all, there's a funny saying. It's something like the 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 pay... the
1: Chicken the, the, and the pig, right?
2: The, yeah, the chicken and the pig. The chicken's yeah. involved, but the pig's committed. That's right. If, in, in making breakfast, right? In, in making, making breakfast, breakfast right? Yeah. Because the it's chicken a, just lays its eggs, right, whereas right,
1: the right. pig actually has to give its give its skin. Yeah, it's,
2: it's yeah, right. Its so, um, you know, it's interesting too because you know when you're when you're growing up, um, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of um, there's sort of a lot of weight given to being well rounded. Right, You're involved in different types of activities. You're involved in maybe art or sports and social things and your academics. And it's all about being well-rounded. Even colleges are very interested in seeing that kind of stuff. They just don't want someone who's one-dimensional. But when you look at people who succeed in life at a really high level, a lot of times they're extremely uh, one-dimensional, and that's all they do and think about. You say like professional tennis player. I mean, that's all they do. They or profession or Olympic ice skater or a professional or vi- you know, some world-class violinist or whatever. I mean, that is what they do. They don't really do much of anything else. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they can be kind of boring people because that's all they can do and think and talk about. But um, it's just hard to compete against people who are like that when you're not like that. And I remember when I was in college, one of the issue, one of the reasons that I didn't go on, or I had a lot of hesitancy about going on and, 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 um, trying to get a PhD in math was I just, um, I wasn't interested in spending eight to 10 hours a day in the, uh, in the office or at a desk, you know, working on math. I mean, I liked it a few hours a day maybe, but, um, you know, I, I kind of, I just felt like I couldn't compete with them. That's all they did. They didn't have anything outside of it.
1: I know we've discussed it on the on the, on the show before, but it's like saying, are you a hedgehog or are you a fox? Remember that?
2: I don't remember. You brought this up before, but I can't remember quite how this works. So,
1: basically, a hedgehog knows one big thing, right? It just curls up in a ball and shows it spikes, and no one can hurt it. Whereas the fox survival um, it revises uh, uh, The fox survival techniques rely on a lot of different things. It knows a lot of small things, right? So yeah. It kind of runs here, darts there, it knows how to do this and that, whereas a hedgehog just knows one big thing. So, I think we're both foxes rather than hedgehogs.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been that way. I've always been interested in a lot of different things. And, um, you know, and it's always sometimes it's a challenge to stay focused on things. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
2: now I the irony of that whole re- the reason I didn't become, ma- I, and I didn't go after, um, I didn't follow the dream of becoming a mathematician, at least the dream I had when I was in college. Um, you know, what as it, it turns out, I spend eight to 10 hours a day writing code anyway, right? <laughs> so, you know, if I was sitting around doing, you know, working on math, proofs versus writing code i mean it's kind of similar so um but how how did how did acting go what happened oh you know i I mean i guess i just didn't have the love for it i didn't really care i mean it was it was it was it was fun right i mean it was like i did it for two summers and i did like uh you know whatever two months a couple nights a week for a couple hours and you would you know read scenes and practice i don't know you know being different characters and uh, did you do trust exercises where you had to like fall backwards and let people catch you and things I, like that. I vaguely remember something like that at one point maybe, but I, I don't remember. So I mean, see the thing about these acting classes, it wasn't like acting for a I mean, these were for commercial actors so people who are, since he was a casting director, this guy was trying to create a stable of actors that he can pull from as a casting director. Right. right. So, so producers come to him and say, we need someone like this, someone like this, someone like this, and someone like this. And he can say, I got, you know, all these people for you. And so he, so a lot of times, what he would do is he would just see people on the street and say, you know, that is that kind of person, and he talked to them. And, and and sometimes I think, especially people who are who are young, and he thought might ha- might be interested in pursuing something like that. And that's how that's why he approached me. I mean, he knew okay. my mom, but uh, that's how he approached me. And I, uh, I thought it was uh, that was fun, but it was just you know I didn't because
1: in my in my acting class, we were always doing things like the the coach would say, okay, now I want you to be steam now I want you to be wood <laughs> you right. just to do all these really strange things.
2: Yeah. I, I, I know I've had a number of friends who, who are actors or pursued that for a while. And, um, you know, they, there's always different kinds of schools of acting and method acting and all that stuff. And they get very into it and very serious about it. And I think to become a great actor, you probably have to really do a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for say being somebody who gets a lot of work doing commercials yeah you no know? i mean you have the right look can you read the lines well can you kind of uh can you can you do you understand how to work on a set and read with other people and things like that that was more what they're worried about
1: did you ever see that movie um there will be blood with daniel day lewis no i don't think... I, I recommend watching that if you can because that that is a like a masterclass in acting that movie uh, after watching that movie i remember turning to georgie and saying well it's just not fair. Like, it's just not fair on all the
2: other actors in the world. <laughs> well, Daniel Day-Lewis is just an unbelievable actor. Have you seen him, like, yeah. The Gangs of New York? Or, oh, yeah. Uh, or, uh, was it But oil? There,
1: there Will Be Blood just takes it to to Wait. A, a new level of of unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, that was a book that was based on Upton Sinclair's oil. That's the one where he goes,
1: I drink, I drink your milkshake. milkshake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, I saw that movie. I saw that movie. I thought it was... um for some reason, because the book "Oil," which is it's based on, um, yeah. I, I was thinking that was the title, but it's not. But yeah, I saw that. He was, yeah, he's a fantastic actor. Absolutely, <laughs> he's one of those guys who just he's he's like a Michael Jordan of acting. He's unbelievable. Um, so, speak- how's
1: it talk, talking about acting, how did your script? How's your script coming along? Or were we just about to say that?
2: Well, yeah, I was going to say. So here, the segue was so. In the last show, I mentioned how I had an idea for a TV show, which was sort of yeah. like Ocean's Eleven meets. Uh, you know the uh, Area 51. So like you have this cast of characters like anonymous or something, and they try and break into Area 51. And I and I I just thought it was kind of a funny idea. And I when I went to the gym the, the following day after having the idea, I pitched it to a friend of mine who I hang out with there, talk to, and he's a he's a professional you know director, producer, writer, and he was like, "Not." He's like, "Yep, yep, that's a good idea." He's like, "Let's do it, right?" <laughs> he's yeah. like, I'll "Do it." Uh, he's you're the creator. I'm the I'm the writer, I'll write it. And I'm like, so what do I have to do? He's like, nothing. I'm like, great. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So I just talked to him a few days ago and he's like, Yeah, he's more than half done. He's like, Go have it done. He said he would have it done this weekend. Although I didn't go to the gym this weekend, so I haven't seen him. But uh But yeah. now, so is he doing it in the style that you wanted? No, he took a little different time. Well, we talked about one Day. He well, he would, we were talking about he's like, What do you think? Do you want to do it as a feature or you want to do it as a TV show? And I was like, Ah, I think a TV show. And he's like, you know, I think this would work really well as a comedy. And so I was like, well, go ahead. And, I mean, he's, he's a he's really funny guy. He, um, he won uh, Funniest Man in New York a number of <laughs> years back, and he was a, you know, a stand-up comic for a number of years. And so he's a funny guy. He used to write for the TV show Parenthood, which think, I think was, I don't know <laughs> if that was a comedy or not, but he, um, so I figured, you know, if, if he's a funny guy and he's confident that this works as a, as a comedy, then, you know, let him play to his strength, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if he, the way I see it is like, he says he'll do it for free. I mean, he just—he'll like, do all Let's the hard. Let's see what happens. Well, what am I going to tell him what to do? You know, <laughs> do whatever you want to do. If you're going to give me a piece of it just for coming up with an idea, well, know? I'm
1: interested to see how much time you're going to end up putting into it, or whether it's going to be a distraction.
2: Well, I mean, we'll see what happens here. I mean, I, I, the way I see it is that, you know, if, if if he wants to write the thing and then he can get in front of some people and and pitch it, then and and if I end up going to you know a hand, handful of meetings, pitch meetings or whatever, it might be just like kind of a fun experience. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what, what I would do at this point. it was funny because I was reading a little bit about this. Actually, I was listening to a podcast. I, mm-hmm. I um, that was talking about this and I, I think it's, it's very hard to come as an outsider and like pitch a TV show, but you can pitch movies. Like if you have a, if you, if you're a writer and you've written a, a good, uh, a screenplay, original screenplay for a movie, um, especially if it's a lower budget thing, um, sometimes you can come from the outside and, and you can sell the script. Right. They'll buy the script from you and, and, you know, buy the option and produce it. I mean, that happens. That is very rare. I mean, that's like the miracle function in action right there. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. Well, let me just finish this. statement. So, but, but the TV doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Apparently, according, I, I was listening to this podcast interview with this woman who was an agent for 30 or 40 years. And she's like, Yeah, that just the way it works as, an, as a as a writer, if you have a TV show idea, is even if they like your TV show idea, they're just going to want you to start from the bottom. You really got to be in your early 20s. They wouldn't hire you in anyone in their 30s. And then you get brought on and you have to work your way up the ladder. You don't just come in and pitch, like, Hey, I got an idea. It's called Lost. You know, mm. like, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, even if it's a good idea, it's just just doesn't work that way. But, um, this friend of mine, I mean, he, Tyler, he, um, I mean, he, he's, uh, he, he's, he's somewhat established, so he might have connections and he might be able to make some happen, but I don't know. I mean, he he's, he's, it's, it's like, if you wanted me to talk to somebody who was, a you know, a seasoned ex, uh, expert, uh, or I don't know, a seasoned, uh, entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur and you, and you, and you came to him and they said, all right, I'll do it. And, and I, I know VCs and angels and I'll go pitch it. And you're like, all right, fine. <laughs> well, talking about acting, did you, did I tell you that I'm moving to Hollywood? Yeah, right. Now offline, you talk about it on the show, but so what? So you're moving to Hollywood, when?
1: Okay, so in on May four, which is going to be great, actually, because it's uh, May five we're traveling down to Vegas. On May four, we're we're moving to um, Hollywood, just just next to the Grove, um, which is basically yep. the farmers market area down I know,
2: there. I know where that is. Yeah, I know that's
1: like Grove. right in the middle of where where all the actors hang out. In fact, I've been, I've gone to see three movies in the Grove, and every time I've seen someone famous
2: there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah I, that that would be a place you might expect to see someone famous. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so we're we're moving to like a, a basically it's a studio f- apartment. Um, the rent's going to be a thousand and ninety five a month, yeah. which is going to be really good value rent. Um, it's surprisingly nice compared to how central it is. Um, it's it does have one room which I think is going to be an office, but it's like a little broom closet. <laughs> so that's where where I'll be podcasting from in the future. Um. Although I haven't actually seen it yet, which is kind of scary. Only, only George has seen it, <laughs> so we're moving to a place that I've never even looked at.
2: Well, you know the condo that we live in. I mean, when it was it was an apartment before it, the um before the building was converted into condos. Yeah, and we moved into this apartment site unseen from Chicago back. In oh, you did? Yep. We never even. I mean, if someone said, "Oh, you're gonna move to this apartment and you're gonna end up living there for ten or eleven years," I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" That's, but that's what's happened. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I wish you luck. I hope you. I hope it works out. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> yeah, who, who, me too. Who, who's
2: seen it? Has Georgie seen
1: it? Uh, Georgie's seen it and her sister's seen it. Her sister lives in the same um, apartment block, but every, every kind of one is different. Like, her sister has a really small studio, whereas this is like a, almost a one bedroom. Right, okay. So I don't really know what it's going to be like,
2: 100%.
1: <laughs> but hey, whatever, you know. Let's see what happens. Well, it's an
2: apartment, right? I mean, if it, you know, you're know you out and if you don't like it, you're out in a year later, you your lease usually, right? So.
1: Well, I've also got another plan, which is to, um, you know, I've got a house in the UK, right? Okay. So I've got another plan to uh, move over to the UK and uh, have a look at selling that.
2: Right. So you're going to live there and sell it while you're living there.
1: That's right. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Well, that's cool. So uh, how much do you think you can sell for?
1: No idea. But I, but, but so, come come December I may be on tour around Europe which would be great to meet some tech uh, Texting listeners over in London.
2: Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah. We're heading to Europe in uh on the 8th I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're going to Sweden and Norway. Um Well, after after um the day you and I get back from Vegas, we Sandy and I are flying to uh to Stockholm. Huh. Yeah.
1: Awesome. So Stockholm's a, good, a great place.
2: Yeah, a, a really good friend of ours um is getting married and uh so we're going to go there for his wedding for, you know, spend three or four days there. He's oh, the fr- is that the
1: guy you've spoken about? About he, the guy who does really well in football?
2: Yeah, he's the friend of mine who, well, you know, when I first met him, he was 20. He was a 20-year-old kid and I was starting my soccer team and I recruited him and he ended up you know, long story. We ended up moving into our loft, which we then renamed the <laughs> Euro Suite. <laughs> he ended up living with us for eight months, helping me run the soccer team, and so ever since, then he's kind of like my adopted little brother or something. And um, <laughs> you know, he oh, he comes back periodically, and we'll hang out here in LA for with a couple weeks for a couple of weeks with us. So, and, how are you
1: managing all the kids? What's gonna? How are you gonna do that?
2: Oh, that's going to stay with Sandy's parents. So, <laughs> well, actually, oh. no, the girls are. So she's uh, Sandy's mom's going to watch the girls, and then her mom and dad. Although her dad's not really going to help much, I don't imagine. But uh, and then we have sort of this uh, friend of ours. She's more like a nanny slash babysitter, and she'll just watch Colby because he'll still be finishing his last week of school. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we're going to go over there to Stockholm, and then we're going to go to Norway for a week because Guyon—that's where Guyon lives. Have you met him? In, you haven't met him face to face, have you? I've never met. Although I see him, I see his video every day. I watch him on video. <laughs> So, um, we're going to go hang out with, uh, with them for a few days in uh, Oslo. So, and then come back.
1: Well, okay. Talking about Guyon and basically working with someone online, let's talk a little bit about my outsourcing stuff.
2: Yes. Next. Let's talk about it. I want to hear the update. Okay. So
1: i got a question for you. Okay. Let, let I'm going to give you a, a, a no, like a, the answer is no. Okay. This is, this is a task. How long would this take you or how long would you expect this to take someone? Right. So, Please, Jason, will you go to Google Reader? Mm-hmm. And they've, they have like a file export system where you can basically export OPML, which mm-hmm. is basically an XML file. I'd just like you to export one of those and just find a way to parse it in PHP and dump the array to a screen. Okay. How long is that going to take you?
0: Hmm.
2: Well, let's see. I mean, let's let's say you end up spending two to three hours we're, you know, looking through the PHP documentation and looking at the two or three different XML parsing libraries, and figure out yeah. how, you know which one works best and and will and and will get a bug. I mean, I would think it would probably take anywhere from one to let's say one to four hours. Four hours at the outside. Let's assume you got unlucky, you've played around with the library, it had a bug or it didn't work right, and then you had to start over again. And you got another library, and,
1: you know maybe. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a revelation to me because I I would say ten minutes. But hey, that's fine. So, so that's really interesting. So, obviously, I because I, I I was like, you know, he came back three hours. You know, it took three hours. So, to me, I thought that was a really, really long time. But
2: well, it just—I <laughs> mean, it's, it's a lot of these things. It's like you just never know. I mean, sometimes I take fifteen minutes. Sometimes like a few hours. Because if you don't, if you don't know a library that's going to do it and have used that library where you can go cut and paste the code, then you have to go do research. And then you have to write, and you have to read through examples and write some experiments. And so some of the experiments you're trying are going to get frustrated with because you screwed some up. Simple, you missed the parameters, not right. And you know, and sometimes you know it's hard to get anything done in less than an hour unless you're cutting and pasting code. I guess
1: that is the problem. I have very high expectations because I have, I guess, just a very lot of experience at all of these different things. Um,
2: You've written it somewhere on some project, and you can just go and hunt it down, cut and paste it, change a few things, and you're done.
1: Pretty much. I mean, but but anyway, I mean, you know, loading in an XML file is just, yeah, exactly. It's, it's just like, I mean, I, I would just, even if I didn't know, I'd just Google and find a class that parses XML, right? And then that parse, you just, that class, you would just pass an XML string in and then it would dump it to the screen, you know, just dump the res, results. But
2: I mean, you're looking for something that's just going to, but you're looking for something that's going to do this, uh, not just once. This is something that will generically work.
1: No, all I knew all I wanted him to do was the research of finding, of downloading the XML file, finding a way to, finding a library that compiles XML and dumping an, an array of, of the structure to the screen. That was the only thing he needed to do.
2: And what was the array? Because it was, it was a one-dimensional array? of Just just whatever, whatever the XML was, basically.
1: Because, you uh, know, XML has different structures. It's different kind of, basically, different um, depths and different, yeah. Because
2: because if you did that, if you, I mean, because it wouldn't necessarily be one-dimensional, array. Right? No, it would be a, you Yeah, know, you're just basically talking about like a PHP sort of representation of the underlying XML.
1: Yeah, but I mean, there's there's classes that do that, but mm-hmm. I guess I, you know, it literally is a ten-minute job to be honest. For, for for me, I guess it's just as I say, it's just because I've done so many of these different things. So for me sometimes it just feels like it's it's going very very
2: slow well you know what you might want to do is ask him when he does things to document you know every 15 minutes or half hour what are you doing I mean what well like, I, what? I
1: can see it I can see it because um, in Odesk there's like screenshots what you know? is he
2: doing can you see him fumbling around or what <laughs> well,
1: I, I asked him to another thing I asked him to do is to do basically the same thing with um, uh, with Facebook right so right. get a get a Facebook stream. And, and the weird thing is when I, when I look through the screenshots, like after about 15 minutes, he is at that level. He's, he's, he's got to that place, but then there's another two hours worth of screenshots of him doing other stuff. <laughs> so it's like, Oh really? So
2: he's not really doing the work.
1: He, he, I, well, no, he's, he's doing stuff, but I just think he's, he, there's also this miscommunication thing. Like I think he's, he wants to take it further than what I, like all I want is the basics. Cause I know that once I've got that, he's saving me time on the research and then I can start plugging it in. Um, I see. Um but anyway, I, I don't know. It's that's that's really flawed me that you said that, that you came up back with that three hour time estimate. I that mean, it's just me hard feel-
2: to say it's it just it's, unless you unless you absolutely have done it before, nothing takes ten minutes. I mean, it mm. just I mean, I'm sure there's people listening to go, Oh, well, I you know, I've done this and that in ten minutes, but a lot of times you anytime you look at something new, like for me, like for instance, when I was looking at the hashing functions that when I found out crypt didn't work. I had to go investigate crypt and I was like looking on and I was googling to find out okay well what are my other options and I went on stack Overflow and I read through four or five different question threads and then I experimented you know I mean if I was like if someone said you have 30 minutes to do this I could have done it but I was kind of weighing my options and looking what the trade-offs were so
1: basically my expectations are way out of whack here way out of whack on all of these all of these tasks that I'm giving him and so I'm feeling kind of you know irritated that it's takes so long but the truth is that's that's just realistic. Like, I'm not going to be able to find someone for t- for for eight eight dollars eighty nine an hour who can. But even so, even if it was a sixty dollar an hour person, it's still out of whack, basically. Because I mean, you're you're a hundred, you're a two hundred dollar an hour person, and you say, look, something that you've never done before can take a couple of hours. That's all there is to it.
2: Yeah, it just so, takes. It just takes. Just I yeah. don't know. It just takes time. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like. I mean, even if you told me to do something that I'd already done, I still have to go and okay, where what project did I do that in? Cut and paste it, re- figure out what was different about it, get it cleaned up. I just, I don't know, yeah, stuff takes okay. time. Nothing takes ten minutes. I mean, it takes me ten minutes to go refill my coffee. Okay, well, in that
1: case, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to view it from that perspective for the next week and see see what happens at the end of the week because I've been viewing it from a different perspective, so I've been very impatient. And that's that's been my issue. Yeah, I mean, maybe
2: I'm being too generous and uh, I might be my answer might be a little too generous and your answer might be a little too um, harsh. So maybe it's somewhere between that, you know, what you can tell him is what you expect that to take longer. And if he's so halfway through, let's say you say, I think this is going to should not take any longer than two hours. This is an hour task or whatever. If you get to an hour call me or contact me and I want to find out so i can help you because I I don't view this. So that way he kind of gets a sense. I mean, I think the ex- expectations of what you want um, in terms of time will help him maybe plan what he's doing.
1: It's just so tempting for me to, and I've had, I've had definitely had this problem before with, with, with past employees. It's so tempting for me to just say, okay, can you do this? And then I've kind of watched them struggle around for a bit, and then I'm like, "Well, just use this library," and I basically Google it and pass them the library. And then I watch them struggle around a bit, and then I'm like, "I'll oh, just do this," and and then I've done the job, and they didn't get a chance to do it. <laughs> they didn't get a chance to learn. And to be honest, right. that is something I've done. I've done with a few different people who've worked for me, and it's, it's it is a bit of a pain. Yeah, um,
2: I think that's, I think that's typically the problem. You know, that's why it's so hard to delegate because you know it's like. I think it's like when you, you have to get a certain number of people working for you to overcome that problem where the sheer number of people working for you over, are are still going to do more than you would have gotten done. But you have to go through this, probably go through this phase of where it's just inefficient, and more expensive to have other people doing it because you have one person or two people and you could probably still get twice as much done as both of those guys if you just said that to yourself. Well,
1: definitely now. I mean, basically i I'm just spending money without any, any kind of return whatsoever at the moment. So I don't know how long that has to last for, you know. Maybe <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that lasts for a month. I just spend money for an entire month and don't get anything back.
2: Well they said they say an expert is someone who's made every mistake possible in a certain field. Right. Like, you know, you'll be a true expert in bootstrapping. You've tried, stumble upon in Facebook ads and Google AdSense. You've outsourced. You've insourced. You've resourced. <laughs> you've, you know, you've done everything in five different ways. And so sometimes just say, hey, Justin, maybe you should do X, Y, and D. And you're like, no. And they're like, well, don't. like, I've tried that. And they're like, well, you could try I've done it. I've done this. I've done it. are like, oh, oh, right? I mean, that's an expert. That's what was funny. You know, and I, I've probably talked about this, but I'll mention again, is that my soccer team, you know, I get some new. There'd be some no player would come on, right? And they're really enthusiastic. Like, oh, man, it's a great team, but you know what? We should do this, or we should do that, or we should... I'm like, kid, listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. I'll tell you five reasons why. I already tried that. I tried that in 2002, and then in 2004, and again in 2007. <laughs> it doesn't work and this is why and you know they're full with enthusiasm and possibility but they just don't realize that certain things just don't work because they don't understand all the constraints And it's only until you've tried all the things and banged your head and hit all the constraints you realize okay now i see why this isn't going to work
1: all right well just to wrap up the outsourcing conversation um one of the things that you said last week was you thought it'd be really good if i could like find three of these guys and um work with three of them so that I could have, you know, three different things going on. Um, yeah. Rob, Rob, who was listening to the conversation, was really enjoying it. Rob Walling um, yep. who, from MicroConf. He was listening to the conversation and really enjoying our outsourcing conversation. But he sent me an email to strongly advise against that, that methodology. Basically saying that there's a lot of reasons why it's much better <laughs> to just find it- one person... Well, I got
2: that was that gets that gets filed under Jason advice fail <laughs> yeah,
1: Jason advice fail he said he basically said in very kind words don't listen to Jason that would be a huge mistake um but basically <laughs> <laughs> what he said but the reason is is because it's it's hard enough to just get one person to understand you and to do what you want and to do it in your coding style and to get it working so that's there's a lot of effort for one person and so if you then have three people, you'll have three different coding styles going on, which is kind of difficult. But also, what's the point? Because one person, you can scale up their hours. Like, at the moment, I'm just getting this guy to do four hours a day. If I really wanted three people's worth of stuff, I could just scale his hours up to, you know, eight hours a day or, or more or whatever. And that's a much better I, – I, ultimately, I would get a lot more work done the way that I wanted if I was to just use the one guy more rather than yeah. three separate guys
2: when I read his response, because you forwarded that email, I agreed. Then I was I, my initial advice. My initial advice was stupid. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, who is this Jason asshole? <laughs> <is> that guy." <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, the, what? Here's the thing. I, I think my initial advice was um, flawed because I wasn't answering. I wasn't thinking about the context. The right way, I mean, yeah, you would definitely, you should definitely have one person working full time before you try and expand beyond that one person. He's absolutely right about that, right? I mean, why would you have two people working four hours and you know, it's just more headache and communication overhead than Mm -hmm. if you have one person work eight hours. So he's absolutely right. I I guess what I was really thinking um, is that if you got once you got one person working full time, it might be great if you if you could expand beyond that. I mean, you know, because. I mean, if you, you, you always talk about competing with, a, with, a, with someone like uh, Hootsuite. Hootsuite, yeah. Right. Well, they have more than one person. So right. you, at some point, if you wanted to go toe-to-toe to the toe with them on feature-for-feature, feature, then you need to have more than one guy in India you know, writing code for you.
1: Well, ultimately, I actually don't think that the issue is getting the features out. What I, what I now realize is the issue is scaling. The issue is the infrastructure, scaling, be able to deal with multiple customers, um, localization. It's basically moving it from a mom and pop business to a million dollar business.
2: A mom and uh, pop and uncle, yeah. and brother and sister business. Yeah.
1: Hey, another thing, another
2: another suggestion that you made that you were pretty
1: strong about last week was that I should, in shared sessions, speak by voice
2: to this. Well, guy. I was curious. I, you know, the reason I gave that advice, I said it was worth trying because <laughs> it works. It, it works great when I work with Guy on that way, and then Curtis and I. Um, Curtis, who is uh, head of uh, development at um, uh, at Uber, I mean that's how we interact, right? You, you know, you. So and it works So well. I said, so I
1: said Abu. Uh, his name's Abu. So I said, would you like? I think like- it's not Abu.
2: It's Abu, isn't it? Abu. Abu. Abu.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, right? So, um, I don't know because I've never spoken to him, so I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it. <laughs> but I said. Okay. Are you better at text, at text English or vocal English? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm better at text English. Said, okay. Um, and, you know, once again, wanting to bring your advice on board, I'm like, well, why don't we try, you know, speaking today and rather than doing by text? And he's like, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> so I'm like, why? He's like, I don't, oh, I'm not confident. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm just not confident about it. (laughs) So then, so the next day I said, same thing. So do you want to do that? He said, "Wait, give me, give me a few weeks to get prepared.
2: To work on his English.
1: I don't know. Just, he just like, no. it's not that
2: my advice has failed. It's just that he does, because it would fail if you guys tried and then you can understand them.
1: Yeah. If every
2: every second sentence you're like, I'm sorry, what'd you say?
1: Yeah. So he, he just, he's, I think he's, he doesn't want to do it because he thinks that it's just not going to work. Um, and and that's fine, but it's just that the the one the, the pain is that the texting does take time. I mean, it would be great to speak, although I'm aware that I'm an, a bit of an overbearing idiot sometimes. So maybe it's probably better if we don't.
2: I just remember a, f- a few times where Gaon and I um, were working, and I was working for my in laws. Like we were visiting in laws, and I had to, and for some reason, Skype voice or Google t- wasn't working, and mm. so we could only communicate through IMing. Yeah, slow adding, and I, it was brutal. I mean, it was okay for an hour, but um, I, I hated. It. I was like, "This is just no fun at all." I mean, was- yeah,
1: no, I do agree. So, uh, like, I've I've asked him three times, and he he does say because I've been asking him over the week, and he said, "Okay, we we will do it one day. We will do it one day, but not now, not now." And now I'm feeling like, oh god, I don't want to like pressure him into doing it.
2: <laughs> you will speak to me <laughs> in the <Yeah>. King's English. <laughs> well, I don't know. We're we'll interested to see how that goes, but I. You know but it was
1: funny when he said when he, when he said like I, I have to I have to prepare myself. It's like as if, you know, I'm this Get big, lesson. Get I'm this big like, I don't know, ogre who's
2: like scary, who he needs to mean prepare guy. himself you're, for. Yeah, he's gotta, he's gotta you're you know, he's gotta be careful. That's interesting. So um one thing I want to talk a little bit about was the um was the plug and marketing. Because you keep talking about marketing, marketing, and, and one thing I discovered and a conversation we had offline is that when you're talking about marketing you're not really talking about marketing you're talking about something else there's there's this other stuff that you're doing that's helping plugio grow that's fueling its growth but isn't coding and it's not marketing it's this other stuff mm-hmm. and i thought it'd be useful to talk about that i think i think our audience should hear what it is that you're doing
1: well because i do you think that it's not marketing but i do think it's marketing i think it I think, falls under marketing
2: i think Okay, I think it's a stretch to call it marketing. I think it's valuable. Well, what, what do you think marketing is? Marketing is like advertising. It's like public relations. So if you're putting up ads on StumbleUpon or Facebook or whatever, if you're um, have a higher a PR department, if you're writing blog posts, uh, or you're you're reaching out to bloggers who blog about the uh, the niche that you're that plug Exist in, and you say, "Hey, I've I've released these two new features, or here's or here's a hook to a story you should write about us, and this is why. Here's our competitor. This is what they just released, and this is why we're better, or they suck." You know, I hate to
1: tell for- you, that's an aspect of marketing. But um, look, when think think about it from Epic Nights' point of view, right, mm-hmm. or, or or from Plugio's point of view, you have you have the product, which is the actual app, which is what people use. That is that whole area is the thing that you sell. Sure everything else is marketing that no yeah yeah so accounting when, when, so, is not
2: marketing customer support is not marketing i mean oh no no
1: no no completely wrong completely wrong customer I, okay, support look. is 100 percent marketing like oh, customer I mean, support is marketing i mean in fact central okay, desktop okay, okay. told us about that you know like you and, i yeah.
2: okay look i understand i mean you could say the user interface is marketing Right, and you could say the product is marketing. I mean, you could say you could you could stretch it as far as you want and say everything is marketing. And at some point, you'd have to say, okay, fine. To some degree, the fact that, that the user interface is designed well makes people like it and therefore talk about it is marketing. Just like customer support responding to people. Okay, yeah, so, when, okay, but that's not when most people talk about marketing. If, if you say, oh, I have an experience in marketing, they don't assume that you're, you have experience um, a- answering tech support calls. They, have a, well, they, they assume what you're talking about is dealing with advertising, product promotions, things like that. It's just, it's just a different thing. Well, I mean, probably it, it have-
1: not experienced marketing people, I don't think.
2: I yeah, mean, but that, yeah. that,
1: that, that's why it's called, that's why when, when you talk about a website, you talk, you know, a software as a service product, you talk about the product and you talk about the marketing site. So the marketing site is everything that isn't the product. So the marketing site is the homepage, It's the whole case studies. It's all that stuff that is the marketing. That's you Uh, know.
2: Yeah, I I I see what you're saying, but I mean, I don't I don't think that um, I'm when I talk about marketing, when I think about marketing, I'm thinking in a stricter sense. I'm thinking about advertising and 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 PR and brand building. Okay, when you know these other things affect um, you know um, the brand, things like customer support. Things like, I, I, I don't know what other things you're talking about, like our, our A-B conversion stuff. And that's kind of A-B conversion, like the, your, your funnel conversion stuff. That's sort of in that vague area because, yeah, it's on the marketing side, but it's not strictly marketing. But anyway, I, what I just wanted to make clarify is that you're, because I, I want people to make sure they understand, because it's useful yeah. to know, is that you're not spending any money on advertising. You're not reaching out to bloggers. You're not doing any PR, yet you're growing because mm-hmm. these other things, which I define as not marketing. Maybe you call it marketing, but it's not the marketing that I think of. And I think other people need to understand that you're doing stuff that's working that isn't this other stuff. Yeah. That's yeah, all. I agree. I mean, you, you and I can argue semantics all day and yeah. uh, it doesn't really, it's not really important, but what's, what I want people to understand is what's working. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you think is working?
1: Well, so what's working, what's working is working. <laughs> we because of marketing um right. what's working is that i'm building what i call the marketing site and getting that very pinned down so that when people hit that site they get the right sales messages they get the right marketing messages and they continue um moving through the sales funnel to end up purchasing the product and buying the product so that is really what i've been focusing on and it is it's very difficult for me to not see it as marketing um because for example, the drip campaign, right? Well, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been doing is that when hit, someone hits the site, it throws up a pop-up and it says, sign up for a seven day course about plug you, you know, or about how to make the most out of Twitter. So when they sign up for that course, I then send them marketing emails once every seven days. Do You see what I'm saying? Right. So that's, now that's, that's that's,
2: that's, dif- a, that's, that's a little more marketing that I, I, I'll give you that. That's a little close. That, that would go into marketing.
1: Okay, so then also we have uh, another thing that I do is that you know this Twitter statistics thing. So every they sign up for that, they just enter their email address, and then every week it sends them an email telling them what the stats of their Twitter account is. And at the top of that, it says, you know, if 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 you take Twitter really seriously, check out Plugear. So the idea is to just really keep within their consciousness. So those are two really big things: Um, the drip campaign and the stats campaign. But then also it's, you know, about the homepage, um, what the homepage says when they land on it. Because I've always had a certain amount of traffic arriving to Plugio and I have felt that the issue that I needed to get fixed, because I literally don't have any good ideas on how to bring new traffic other than some of the things we try like blogging or whatever. But I've always felt that the best thing for me to do is to try and maximize, squeeze all the juice out of the stone, as it were. So that's really what I've been working
2: yeah, on. Yeah, you're 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 trying to increase, right, the conversion rate of the traffic you do get, not not increasing the traffic directly. Which is what hopefully Keith, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago, is gonna help you do. I hope so, yeah. I hope so. Affiliate
1: marketing. Still waiting for Keith to get started. Um apparently this Monday he may be sending over the tra- the tracking pixels and then doing some tests this week.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, I guess the, the, the drip campaign that, and then, and then the funnel conversion, you know, stuff I, okay. I would call that marketing, but, um, but it's not, it's not, I think I just want to make sure people understand that you're, you're, when you say you're spending time marketing, yeah. you're not doing affiliate marketing, you're not spending money on ads. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not contacting bloggers or, um, you know, other websites to, uh, promote blog. You're not doing any of that. You're not doing yeah. anything to increase your, um, your traffic.
1: Okay, one, the one thing that I guess I am doing that that is like that, but I've always done this, is that when someone follows me on Twitter I basically send them back a message saying, hey, thanks for the follow about me, I'm a bootstrapper building plugio." So what happens is I follow you know, I follow lots of people that Plugio suggest to me and then a few of them follow me back and then they get that message in their inbox and then they typically go to plugio. So I would say a huge amount of traffic. In fact, I know that over two and a half thousand within the last six months, people have gone there that way.
2: Right. That, and that, tra- is,
1: that, that is marketing, really, I think. Where does most the, of your traffic come from? Well, it's it, it's mostly direct for some reason. Um, then, uh, let me just... let me just So that's that word now. of mouth.
2: So word of mouth, then. I think word of mouth, yeah. Word of mouth
1: is the answer to that question, yeah.
2: And how did you get your first, you know, hundred or thousand users? The, the first... Because right when you released Plug.io, you, you had a, a bunch of people right out of the gate. Twitter.
1: I, I just did. It, it all came through Twitter,
2: basically. So you started a Twitter account, and that was in June, right around the time we started the podcast of 2009. Yeah, it was to promote the podcast, yeah. And by the time you, got, you released Plug.io, and that was like in the fall, like what, like October or something? Mm-hmm. November of 2009, is that right? I, t- I don't remember the dates. Yeah, so something like that. So you probably had, what, 1,000, 2,000 followers, maybe? Yeah. On Twitter? And, and then what, you announced Plugio. You said, hey, I'm working on Plugio. or Here's a new version. And then some percentage of those followers just checked it out. And that, and yeah,
1: exactly. That's how, how it got started. So I'm just looking at the stats here. Um, 59% of the traffic is direct. Just basically goes straight to it. So basically 60% okay. of people just type Plugio into the address bar or have it bookmarked. 13% is from Google organic traffic. But of that, 80% of people just typing in the word Plugio. <laughs> so 70% of people already know about it. The other 30%, is, well, 3.3% is, comes from Twitter. Okay. So, uh, within the, so, for example, within the last month, 481 people came from Twitter. And then um, about the same again comes from justinvincent.com. Those are people who land on the Easy SQL page. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's kind of how the whole thing stacks up. So I really don't have very much new traffic coming in there at all.
2: Yeah, well, the good thing is is that you're growing despite not having um, new, you know, a growth in, say, traffic, mm-hmm. which is great. But that's a, that's a dial you can turn, right? You, yeah, exactly. That's, more, that's a dial that Keith's going to help you turn. It's like, okay, because you have all these dials that you can turn. And one's you, you improve, improving the product, improving customer support, improving your drip campaign, improving your pricing segment, whatever it is. Each one of those things are little knobs that you can turn that can, you know, that can be optimized.
1: I think there are dials that I can turn. Uh, well, that's what I'm going to find out.
2: Well, you'll see. What we'll do. Well, the stuff that you have been doing is it, it seems to be working. The 60 day thing we've talked about last yeah. show in particular um, has worked. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get so an update too. on the revenue. Let's, I love the we'll revenue s- update. I feel like that's <laughs> when I watch like, the biggest loser and I can say, how much, how much pounds this guy lose? You know?
1: Okay. Well, like, so we'll talk about the first 15 days. So it's the first 15 okay. days of the month so far. So in December, it was 433. In January, 453. In February, 573, March, 702, April, 798, and May, 1,131. I like it. So that's 29% over, over last month. So that's looking good. Uh, seven, only seven cancellations in total this month so far for the first 15 days. Um, so that's definitely under half the rate of the cancellations of any other month. Definitely.
2: Wow, and you've mentioned—I you, think you mentioned last week—that you do contact them and ask them why they cancel, so you can get some insight from them mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, yeah, and that's helping you prioritize features. Yeah, totally.
1: And there's there's, oh. there's lots of different reasons, but I mean, some you know, sometimes people will literally say, "Eh, Hootsuite's a better deal?" <laughs> Things right. like that. So there's not too much you can do, you know. But other people have kind of specific reasons, like someone left because a, they couldn't import all their feeds from Google Reader, for example. Right. So then I, then I built uh, found a way of integrating Plugio into Google Reader anyway and, uh, you know, won them back. So that was good.
2: Oh, you did? You won them back. Well, you know, this reminds me, and I, I can't remember what this interview was that I listened to. This was a while ago, but um, wow. they were talking about how they had a way of detecting when they were about to lose somebody hmm. by their behavior uh, uh, on the site. And by tracking... You know, by tracking this behavior and understanding, like, oh, we're about to lose someone, then they would contact them proactively and say, hey, can we help you out with anything? Are there any issues you're having with their product?
1: That would be, that's very interesting.
2: Yeah, I wish I, it was like a stick, it wasn't stickiness, it was something like a stickiness coefficient or something mm. where it's like, if you see someone using it and doing a lot, and then like you start seeing it tapering off, and then you're getting a sense, you know, there might be a problem they got a sense cuz what you could do is if you're tracking a bu- uh, different types of uh, feature usage or whatever and you start seeing that go down and then you can and you figure out when people and you say okay well we've had you know 10 people drop each month the last 4 months and this is what they're tra- this is what their behavior characteristics look like compared to other people. And then you can start detecting other people starting to look, do that. And then, then you can contact them before they uh, quit. You can probably have even a more meaningful conversation with them about what they don't like. Because sometimes when people are, they're done with something and they don't really want to talk to you. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to this guy. I'm over yeah. it. You know? Whereas if somebody is still, look, they're still vested in it. You know, they're still like using it, but they're having some frustrations. If you catch them early enough, you can probably get, not only can you have a chance of keeping them because if they, if they haven't already canceled, which is probably easier to keep someone who's thinking about canceling than to get someone back who's already canceled. You know, it's like if a girl, once a girl breaks up with you, it's kind of hard to win her back. <laughs> mm. If a girl starts expressing a little like she's not so happy with the relationship, it's, you're, you're at a better shot. You have a better shot at like fixing things. Right. So I think that's the same thing probably goes with customers. And, and then, of course, like you have a, you can have a, a more in-depth conversation about what they're frustrated with.
1: So there's, a, there's a, a a piece of software that I think is going to help with this. It's called tatango.com, T-O-T-A-N-G-O.com, which was going to be called SAS Pulse, but they've changed the name. And I think that that is exactly the kind of thing that they'll be analyzing on that system.
2: Yeah, I, I yeah. think that would be useful. I mean, that, that sounds like just the kind of stuff that would help you, although your you're, you're, your cancellations are are pretty low, so you're probably doing a pretty good job, mm-hmm. as it is. Yeah. So... Um, Oh, well, one thing, Stargate Universe is over. It's done. Oh, man. What did you think about that ending? Well, let's not talk about that because I'm sure that we have listeners and we don't want so, uh, um, to. So, listen. It was just
1: the best ending they could do, I guess. Whatever.
2: Yeah, it was good. You yeah, know, it was a good ending. I'll, I'll put it that way. And, um, yeah, it was funny. I was at. Uh, the JPL, the jet propulsion lab yesterday Mm -hmm. with Colby. So we, they have like a big open house and and the the jet propulsion lab is this gigantic campus. It's like, almost like a college campus. And that's, they do all the, you know, rocket and robot stuff or a lot of the rocket and robot research and development for NASA. And so once a year they have a big open house and they have all, you know, all their scientists out and they have all these cool things and, you know, robots, rockets, telescopes, that kind of instruments. And so I was over there yesterday with Colby and, um, we ended up talking to this one scientist and she works on the Kepler telescope and we're talking oh, yeah. exoplanets and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and she, we got the conversation and I said, cause we're talking about how far some of these exoplanets might be. And, and she's like, yeah, we'll take, you know, X number of years. I was like, yeah, we got to get off our butts and, you know, get that FTL drive going. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, what's that from? Where's FTL drive? And I was like, you know, like Star Trek universe. She's like, Oh, I know they canceled. I'm so upset. <laughs> so, <laughs> she was all bummed out, you know, and. uh
1: I, can't, but, I just don't understand why they can't. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It was a really, really good show. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's just the list, you know the the
2: viewer levels, but... Huh. It was still pretty good. Out there. Look, it was still pretty good. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's like, you know, obviously, I'm not a studio executive, so I don't know all the things are weighing, but I guess they think, okay, well, this is still fine, but if we're going to put our resources in it, we're going for something that's better, right? Yeah. So, you know, like... A, it's like if a vc firm has to continually reinvesting in startups even if they've invested once they, they might say this thing's never really going to become go public or sell for a billion dollars it's a 50 million dollar company do we really want to do another round of financing or do we want to start with a new idea and i think that's probably what they do it's like okay Stargate universe is is uh, modestly successful but you know we want to focus our they're resources they're looking for 10x you know, that would be my guess. I mean, it's it's mm. all about the money for for studios, right? For networks. I mean, they're doing it for the money, and then mm. clearly wasn't making as much money as they thought um a show like that could or should make. But it's too bad for us, though, because we like the show. But that's over. So, what did you think about um the sale of Skype to Microsoft? I don't really have much of an opinion on that. I don't really know what they're going to do with that. I mean, the one thing about, I love Skype. I think. I think Skype is the closest thing to like, you know, you remember a show 24 with uh, Jack Bauer and that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. like, well, I'm, I'll send it to your screen. Like there, you know, it was like, Oh, just it's on your screen or I just send it to your screen. But Skype is almost like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you integrate it a little bit more, like let's say you had something like Skype on a, like on a network to where it was secure enough. So if somebody sends you something to your screen, you don't have to do an accept, right? It just goes and it goes to a directory and if it's a certain file type, I mean, it's essentially that it's the perfect yeah. time to build a Skype competitor I mean,
1: at the end of the day, people will just use anything that isn't Microsoft, so.
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think, I think uh, the, the reason Skype's valuable is the same reason that um, Facebook, it's everybody's on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, if I get some new thing, it's like, oh, you have to download. And I say, hey, Justin, you want to talk to me about this new thing? And you're like, I'm like well, I don't have software. Like, well, I'll download and install it. I mean, it's just a pain in the butt. Yeah. Mind, you know, in, 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 unless you're doing, unless you're just completely web-based and I have to install something. But as soon as you're asking people to install crap, it's just—it's nobody wants to do it. And especially if Skype is the kind of thing that's people have installed on their computers that are in companies, because you know you, a lot of times you don't have them privileges to install stuff, you know, and you have that barrier. It's not just a matter of getting your mom to install it; it's a matter of getting the IT guys at the company to get it, allow it to be installed, you know, or to install. Did you see
1: Mailgun um, raised 1.1 million?
2: I don't know what so, Mailgun
1: is. Oh, Mailgun so, is a company
2: you like, right? Yeah, Mailgun is the one who, who we used to set up Startup Guild. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. No wonder yeah. that that name sounds familiar to me. And I saw it this morning or yesterday, right? And oh, they, your mic. Your mic, sorry. Yeah, well, so no wonder they, they sound familiar to me. Okay.
1: Yeah, so basically they're like the Twilio for email. Okay.
2: Yeah, cool. So they raised money. So did you send them a letter, for, uh, an email of congratulations?
1: Um, I didn't send them a letter of congratulations. However, they did they did build my account fifty nine dollars after <laughs> saying that after saying it was going to be free for a Startup Guild.
2: <laughs> oh, did you ever send them an email complain hey, about come on. about
1: about that? I sent them an email. I said, "Hey, you said it was going to be free," and they're like, "Oh, sorry, um, mistake with our
2: reconciliation script." <laughs> mm, that's cool. Well, that's good. At least you get yep. your money back. Not so, fair. um. Okay, so you want me to bring up my couple topics? Go on then. All right, so um, let's see here. Uh, you know, one thing that was interesting. Uh, well, I'll, okay, I'm gonna get to this uh, in a minute. The 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 one thing I had was uh, that I've been working on is is Uber then the dispatching system, and I've talked oh, yeah. about it. So it's a real time dispatching system for Uber, um, and it's built in Node.js. And yesterday, I got back from spending the day at JPL, and I I log in and I see um. See Curtis and Curtis is like flipping out and he's like, dude, <laughs> we got to get the new dispatch So I'll like what's going on? He's like, we're melting down. It's like on Saturday, Friday, Saturday night. It, there's always a big growth. Mm-hmm. Is there an up there on, on an upward trajectory? And so every weekend is like bigger than every other weekend. Mm-hmm. And so, it kind of reminds me of the we remember the movie Office Space, where he says every yeah. day is the worst day in his life. So it's worse than every other day he's ever had. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it refers to that. Every weekend is better than every other weekend they've ever had, which means that every weekend the uh, the infrastructure is being pushed to a, a new level. Uh-oh. It's being stressed to a new level. And it's still on the old infrastructure. I mean, it's taken some time not only to build the code out, but build, you know, get all the supporting, you know, hardware and databases and everything in place, protocols. We can make this thing work. And um, it's just like, it's, I feel bad for him because I log in and I do a video chat with him and it looks like he hasn't even, you know, brushed his teeth or combed his hair. He's in at home. And it's like, you know, seven o'clock at night. <laughs> Like, have you even eaten breakfast? You know, he has that look. That guy who's just like babysitting a server that's just good crashing, like every you know, or on the verge of crashing every twenty minutes. So, what he ended up having to do because some query, because we were talking about earlier about how you were trying to profile these queries, yeah, and he had some queries that were just taking too long and were causing all kind of problems. And part of the reason was is this table was gigantic, and his only temporary solution was to make a duplicate of the table data and then just hack off all of the data from everything from the previous months up until the current month. Huh. And that was it. Then then it was everything where he's like, oh, I think I just bought us some time.
1: <laughs> so basically that's just dealing with a very similar kind of issues that I'm dealing with with years. Like these these database issues are really painful.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's databases aren't plug and play. You know, you 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 gotta you gotta baby them. You gotta Attention to them, you gotta give them flowers, take them out to dinner, <laughs> oh, right. have your chocolate every once in a while, you know.
1: Oh, that'd be cool <laughs> if you could come up with a title, something about that, like giving flowers to, you know, dating in MySQL database or something.
2: <laughs> you gotta show your database some love. I mean, it's not like you just it's not like you just show up every once in a while, like, hey, what's up, baby? You know, <laughs> you slam the door in your face, you know, it doesn't work that way. You gotta, so yeah, I mean, you just you gotta constantly tune it and check for indes- your indexes or. Your indices, I guess, are right. And I, I don't know. I mean, you know, and, and Curtis knows his his, uh, his database stuff. He's not a he's not a you know, a rookie, you know. Yeah. He, he's someone who's read through high performance MySQL, you know, tuning or whatever. Like he, he knows it. And he's still like, I don't this stuff is just we're running out of juice. So um I that, so I had to jump on all yesterday and all day today. I've just been working on Uber. And one of the problems with the stuff that the dispatch system and I went, I was running it and I was simulating it. Cause up until recently I was just run, I built a simulator to, to test the dispatching behavior, but I was just running with like a half dozen cars or a half dozen, you know, clients and just making sure everybody's sending the right kind of messages and every, all the states are right. And then I was like, okay, let's just start, stress, uh start stress testing it and put like 300 cars and 300 clients and it just, the memory just went through the roof. I mean, within like three minutes, it was like two gigs of, 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 of memory was being used. This is on Redis, right? Using Redis. MongoDB. Oh, Mongo. Um, but yeah. it wasn't the MongoDB, it was the node processes. So the hmm. simulator and the dispatch server both just exploded. And I mean, like, to the point where it took me like three minutes just to shut down the services. I couldn't even get a window up. I couldn't even get the terminal up to shut things down. Oh,
1: so this this was all local as well. It's
2: just all local, but it just killed my machine. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not. Oh, wow. I was like, "What is going on?" So I had, to I mean, you know, tracking down memory links leaks isn't always the easiest thing to do. Um, yeah. And so I it, essentially what you end up doing is just sort of doing like a binary search through code, just commenting stuff out and commenting stuff out and simplifying it. Sorry, so and then watching the activity monitor and seeing what's happening to the RAM. And finally, after you know whatever day of doing that i discovered that it was the xml parsing library that we are mm. using, and all the messages are xml because we have to be backwards compatible and that's what all the phones you know use was xml not json although mm. we're moving to json but we still for the time being we have to support xml yeah and so we have to use this we, so we picked this xml library but turns out no one's committed to it in like seven months just so like
1: hey xml
2: yeah, I hate XML and I also hate projects that have died. <laughs> you don't even yeah. know they've died. It's like because I think I started using it and I think the last commit was like a month or two, but it hasn't been updated, I think, since November. And what, is that PHP XML? No. Well, this is a you know this it's is the no Node. Node.js called fast you know X you know, something fast OS3 or something like that. I right. I don't know. I mean we used it, it seemed it was it seemed like it was fast. I evaluated three or four, and that was the one that seemed like it worked and was fast. The other ones you know, I tried. I couldn't get them to install. They just didn't work very well. And so that one worked. It seemed fast. You know, I went with it. And then it wasn't until I started using a lot of clients and drivers that I realized, holy crap, this thing has a major memory leak problem. And, you know, I tell that's right when I'm telling, uh, you know, right when Curtis is, is starting to get stressed out about the infrastructure melting down. I'm like, oh, <laughs> a little FYI. We got a major memory leak problem, and it's not ours. It's one of our libraries that we're using. And... um, so we had to, so I and I have to change to a completely different library, which has a completely different interface. It's all asynchronous as opposed to synchronous parsing. So I mean, just changes it all. And I have like thirty message types, and oh my god, it's like <laughs> such an you know, it's just like, I mean, you know, it's always that pain. Like you have to figure out a new library, right? and then you have to integrate your code. But then I have, I have like thirty messages with all these properties and all these different structures, and I'm just like, this sucks. And uh, you know. But I had to do it. I had to do it fast because uh, Curtis is like, "We got to get this thing up because next weekend, you know, the it's going to." It's like hit
1: jQuery's the- got some nice XML stuff. Well, this is server side. Uh, can't jQuery run on Node.js? I don't know.
2: I, I, of course, it can. I don't know. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. We yeah. we're using um, we're using something called um, XML two JS, which is written. It's it's written on one of the fastest I think uh, based on one of the fastest libraries written in C plus plus or C. Oh cool. SAC. Okay. And it was written by one of the core Node.js committers and it has it's very actively uh, used. I think Simple Geo and about ten other you know big sites that use Node.js are all using it and committing. Oh perfect. Forking it. So we're like, okay, that's a good sign. Let's go with it. And I just ran it the day after you know kind of implementing most of the stuff and there's no memory leaks, So that was that was just one of those frustrations you know the memory leak issue so um, what was the thing i wanted to bring up i don't think you know what thing was interesting i uh, i got a call out of the blue or an email first and a call from a uh, a guy who's running like a they're trying to set up like an ex- like a, a stock exchange called an ecn and this is like I don't know I won't get too into it because I know a lot of our listeners may not even know what I'm talking about. But when you buy and sell stocks, you uh, and it's not a New York Stock Exchange; it's not a listed stock. It's like if you're trading like the four-letter stocks, like Microsoft, yeah, or Google, they are on uh, the Na- They're a NASDAQ stock, and they're traded through electronic communication networks or ECNs. And uh, they're, this company is trying to set up this sort of peer-to-peer, kind of like the uh, you know a torrent, <laughs> BitTorrent network of stock trading, mm-hmm. and it interesting, he found me through a Google search because of the stuff I'd written, my background. It was the first time that sort of like my personal SEO... Oh, so
1: he just found you through Curtis Offerrandi? Yeah.
2: Yeah, he called me and was like, looking. they're looking for a CTO. You know, huh. and leadership uh, conversation. I mean, you know, after he heard my background, he was getting really excited, but they're in Austin, and I said, look, I said, well, you know... I'm, you know, he's like, well, how do you feel about moving? And you know, <laughs> not going to happen, you know, I'm not, I'm not moving anywhere. And, uh, you know, and, uh, but it was just interesting. It was kind of that luck surface area thing, right? You know, you create, you spend a little time, you create up a website, you write about your background, you know, your little bit of biography, stuff that you know how to do, and stuff just kind of happens out of the blue. I mean, that was sort of a, that was a first, you know, I mean, we talked about last week about how, you know, what, what we ranked when people search for our name specifically. Mm-hmm. But that was somebody um, searching for I don't know automated trading or something like that, and then I came up somehow. <laughs> that was kind of cool. So well, he, wants, awesome. they, he wants he wants to do some consulting work, but I think I'm going to have to. Um, I, one thing I said I said I wouldn't. Oh, you,
1: don't you can't you can't take on any more work. You've I got know so
2: freaking much. I know that's what I I gotta send him an email and just say you know I just can't do it. <laughs> you need big. to cut
1: it off like seriously cut it off before getting their hopes up.
2: Yeah, no. Actually, uh, that's the email I was planning on sending uh, probably today. Uh, <laughs> so I can't, can't do it. Um, so, what else on top? Talking- oh, we got a bunch of, uh, of uh, guest suggestions. Did you see that? No, I uh, that uh, post. And I uh, got like I don't know twenty or something like that.
1: Anyone? Anyone who's like into UFOs and stuff, or is it? Is it all kind of techy?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. techie? Uh, no, no. It's all just. Uh, tech stuff, tech, you know, most of it was startups. stuff. if there's a couple people are talking about like mobile, uh, iPhone dev yeah. stuff. And, uh, I don't know, there was a few that were interesting. There was a, um, I can't remember her name. There was a, a woman who wrote a book on entrepreneurship and that might be kind of interesting. Um, there was a guy, something Lund, I think he was an investor in Skype and a bunch of other stuff. And he was like a really prolific investor, done a lot of really cool stuff. He would be really interesting. I think Taco, if we could, if we could get him on. Um, there was a big, que- big uh, story that popped up on Hacker News, and the question is like, is you know making a thousand dollars from a startup hard? Oh, I'm glad you brought this up. And uh, I'd like to, you know, you're making, you're, you know, zeroing in on making three thousand a month. So mm-hmm. let's hear your opinion on it. Is it hard?
1: Yes, it is very hard. And I think that it doesn't. I think that a thousand dollars a month is an arbitrary. Number and it's just as hard to make ten dollars a month as it is to make a thousand dollars a month. Okay, ten dollars may be an exaggeration, but let's say I don't know two hundred dollars a month. There's not there's no, really no difference between making two hundred and a thousand, and there's really no difference between making a thousand and ten thousand. It's just how you know how far down the line you get, you know how far you scale it out. So to to get to that first thousand, you have to build a good product that people want to pay for. And then to get to the next ten thousand, which is kind of where I'm headed, then you just have to keep on working at it, keep on chipping away at it. It's like it—it it, it just reminds me of um, like levers. You know, mm. you've just got to keep on. No, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. This is a good example. It's like spokes on a wheel. Like a wheel, uh, wouldn't you know? If you just had one spoke, then that's not a very strong wheel, and that's kind of what your what your company's like when you just launched a product and then you add another spoke because you do another little tweak here and then you keep on adding spokes. And then over the kind of three-year course, four-year course, you add all these spokes and then you've got a fully strong wheel and then that's your full business that's earning your thousand or your 10,000.
2: Well, so I, it seems to be that it's hard and it's not hard. I mean, it's hard in the sense that you can't just code something up for a month or two, release it and expect to be making a $1,000 a month. That's right, okay? yeah. But it wasn't... You I mean was was that first two months of development a plague that hard for you? I don't it doesn't seem like it really. You weren't calling me up every day going, "Oh my god, this is, this is the hardest thing I've ever done." You were just excited writing some fun code to solve a problem, right? And you worked on it and and uh, you, had, you had you had been building up a Twitter following um a couple thousand not working super hard at that. And and you, right out of the gate you were making what $700 or $800 a month. Right? Well, I was,
1: but d- don't forget it was a bit of a f- kind of a big part of the reason was because i had that like year long plan which was which i really regret having so it sort of looked like i was making a lot of money but i wasn't really it's just that like because it was new five people came in and bought it for a year so all of a okay. sudden i had 500 bucks but the truth is they didn't really count because it was only really 50 bucks in in reality
2: so how much do you think you were making if you if you sort of amortize that or whatever you, you figured okay what was the monthly rate if you if they were just paying by the month how much do you think you were making after the first month or two yeah two hundred dollars. Like, yeah it's that kind of thing more like three hundred yeah which is like what nosby which and, and bit sketch yeah. they're about the yeah. same thing like you can expect if you release something you do a good job you not only write the software but you do a good do- job on the ui you do something to get some kind of a list of people you know you might be able to make somewhere between 100 and three hundred dollars within the first couple months Hmm. But if you stick with it, and I think where the hard part is, is it's, it's not that hard. That it's like technically hard. Like I don't, I like think you just it's impossible to understand. Like nobody can figure this out. Um, it's just it seems to me. Obviously, I'm observing you. It's like it's just sticking with it. It's the persistence that you just got to stick with it. But it's and, get, it's and keep turning and keep trying things.
1: The the miracle function that's difficult to explain is, it's not just the creation of plugio after three months. It's also the preceding fifteen years of all the other different shit that I did, that enabled me to do Plugio well enough that it actually made money, and that's that's the same thing that Peldy said to us. We were like, you yeah. we like, dude, you know, you're making like, you know, half a million. How you, how did you do so well?" He's like, "Well, I didn't just do this. Like, I spent my I spent my whole life building up to this point, to to right. to craft my skill, and it's just like the same with you. I mean, you know, Epic Night when you release it, I mean, that's going to make a big splash. It's going to make a lot of money, but." <laughs> you know, two months uh, after from, you from release it. your mouth
2: to God's ear. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. seriously, two months
1: after you release it, you're not, you know, if there's a story on the internet that says Jason Roberts, Appignite in two months is making, you know, $500. How amazing. Uh, like, mm-hmm. obviously it's not, is it? Right. It's taken you a whole career. It's taken you two years to build it, you know?
2: Right, right, right. I think that's, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. But I, it's just <laughs> kind of interesting. It's like when you define hard, like what's hard, you know, hard is, is hard, you know, just getting yourself to work, you know, m- putting in a couple hours a day and, and put a bunch of time on weekends. And you'd rather be doing other stuff and doing that for, you know, a year or two. Is that hard? I mean, in some ways it's no, hard. In some ways it no, isn't. No, I'll tell you,
1: what, I'll tell you, really, there's only one thing, in my perspective, that's hard. Like, none of the tech stuff's hard. None of the business stuff's hard. The only one thing that's hard is logging in and seeing two sales.
2: And uh, that is hard. Psychologically hard
1: and then you think should i continue with this because there's only two sales is there any point continuing with this and the next day there's no sales for another two weeks there's no sales that is hard then moving past that and saying i'm going to actually put more time into this thing that's not creating any sales that my wife says is wasting my time and that there just doesn't seem to be any reason for me to be doing that is what's hard
2: yeah well it 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 took a lot of uh, cuz you essentially quit you let it you put it on cruise control for almost a year right mm-hmm. i mean you didn't you you okay, so maybe you didn't you know turn it off, but you you put minimal to no work into it for months and months and months right exactly the same as you did with Brizo because you get to that point where you just
1: almost feel kind of ashamed that it's not growing like because of entrepreneur we have this understanding that a business is supposed to grow, it's supposed to go viral, it's supposed to go hockey stick hockey stick yeah hockey stick right but and and because we're kind of proud guys, we feel this level of shame about it it's like, hey Oh, it's obviously, it's it's like this dirty, I've given birth to this dirty, unholy baby that I don't want to touch again. (laughs) And it's like, you feel bad about it. You feel bad, you know, Oh God, I really did a bad job there. But that's so ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Well, that's why I think it's really important is people understand that, you know, you you expect to be making 50 to a couple hundred hours a month, you know, for the first few months. And then you just keep turning that dials and keep making the user experience better and communicating with customers you you know just what you did you know you may make nothing you probably will make nothing i don't know probably you'll make nothing oh you mean oh you probably make nothing for the first month or two yeah yeah maybe nothing in the first couple months but you know you kept at it and i I think the most that's the most important thing we've learned from this all the interviews we've done is is the the one consistent characteristic we've seen across the board is persistence so let me ask you i mean do you think it's hard to build a thousand dollar business I think it, you know, well, I think one thing that I, I mentioned on Startup Guild, because some guy was talking about his idea for a startup, and I just thought he was going after something that was much bigger than you should probably go after as a single founder. I mean, why would you compete against Groupon by yourself? Right. I mean, there are different things, and I use three examples. I was like, Nosby, Sketch, Plugio, you know, simple problems. You don't need groups of people. I mean, if you're going to be writing the code, it's going to be a hard time going out and doing marketing and talking to businesses as well. It's just hard. It's a lot harder. I mean, if you have two or three people, maybe you can do, try and do stuff like that. But I just thought if you're one person, you want to do something more along those lines. One thing I, I said in that um, when I was suggesting in that um, Startup Guild post mm-hmm. that that guy go after something smaller is, um, you know I, I said use Night. I mean, Night was too big of a problem to go after as a single founder. That was a mistake. I mean, I should have gone after something smaller. I mean, am I, I I think I can make it work, right? I still believe in it and I'm still pushing on it. But in retrospect, I should have gone after something that I could have released in three months. I mean, that is still the right option. Mm-hmm. You know? And I just I just increased my dr- risk dramatically, you know, because yeah. you spend all this time working on something. And uh it just takes forever. I could have been building up revenue and customers and things like that. And I just say, go after something smaller that you can release, that you can build in two or three months. I mean, I think that's what we probably saw with a lot of these single founder startups that worked. I mean, yeah. some of them worked on it longer. I think I can't remember um what, uh what Ruben said. I think he spent more time before he released his, but I think, yeah, just go after something smaller. And uh I think, I think it'll be easier to get there. I think the idea of like hit you know you know things you've talked about swinging for the fences and getting VC backing and all these things that just you know they're just beyond your control sometimes they're just really big. Um, you're just making it harder than it has to be. I think. Mm-hmm. I think you're, I think Plugio is a really good example of how how to do it. And not that I'm saying it's easy. It's just you're 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 just squashing the function down into something that's much more tractable. It's much more it's ar- manageable. It's manageable. It might be hard in the sense that you, you work on something for a few months. You have to do things that aren't just coding, like customer support, like design, like funnel optimization, like figure out how to drip campaigns, like figure out pricing. You have to do all these things that you might not understand that well, and might not ever have done, or might not really want to do. But you can do them. You know, you can do them yourself. And then struggling through the psychological pain of having zero people paying or two people paying after five months, and then sticking, and then just sticking with it. I mean, that's the that's the. The hard part but that's all manageable at least you're somewhere but if you're just sitting there talking about this big idea and you you can't build it unless you get funding or goes it's just you know you're just you your chances of succeeding are just near zero mm-hmm. i think so
1: all right well on that happy note
2: <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a happy note okay like, you know it's like it's i think uh, stays you know start small man go after something it doesn't have to be trivial right just don't just you know, if you can't find something that you can build and figure a way to release it in three months, you just probably make it harder, you know, than, uh, than it needs to be, like I said with Epic Night. you start can Start small, grow big. Yeah, start small, grow big. Start small, grow big. That's it. That's what I like. Um, All
1: right. All right, dude. That's a wrap. Yep. <laughs> We're
2: out.